Hey everybody, thanks for listening. If you like what you're hearing so far, please make sure to hit that button and follow the show. If you have any questions, feedback, or would just like to get in touch, you can reach us at gigpodshow at gmail.com. That email is also in the episode description. And with that, let's get on with the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Guys in the Garage podcast. Today, we have Luke Dupin. So essentially, just, you know, I, I want to know about you. Like, I mean, you're, you're an interesting guy. I, I like talking to you a lot, but I, I want to know, who are you? Who is, who's Luke? Y- you are a very computer-brained kind of guy. You're, you're, you seem like you're very focused on the things, not only that you're interested in, but I know that you're, you're very entrepreneurial. You know, so kind of what, what drives you in those directions? Yeah. Um, hmm, what drives me? I, yeah. So, uh, well, right. So my, my formal side, so I, uh, uh, I started playing around computers when I was four, mm-hmm. uh, we had an old K pro, um, we had a Commodore 64. Yeah. Bitchin' man. Yeah. You were the cool kid. <laughs> I, st- I started writing. <laughs> what is that? Basic. Basic. That totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So it's the same. Yeah. So I started playing around with basic uh, at age 10. Um, started getting some formal training at like 13 or 14, uh, went to college, uh, for computer science and math. Um, you know, went several different businesses, uh, typically in like a lead architecture role, uh, or a senior software design role, uh, most times both. And, uh, and so that's most of my working life. I, uh, I found that, um, I found that the thing that, that really drives me, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's, it's, it's my, my deepest addiction. I, I talked to my wife and just, just told her at some point, I was like, Hey, like if, if this isn't working for you, you got to leave because I can't stop mm. just that I, uh, I'm obsessed with bringing, uh, products and concepts into reality that, uh, that wouldn't exist if I didn't go do it. Mm. Um, I, I feel like I'm one of the, the rare people that has the, the skills to go do all this stuff. And it, it's, it's a curse. Um, it's pretty well made my life a lot harder than it would have been if I could have just shut up and just work for somebody. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I just, you know, I, I thoroughly love the process of playing with ideas, um, taking them into more formal concepts, uh, talking with, um, people that are industry experts, whatever that means, um, about those concepts, uh, learning how to communicate them, uh, taking that into a testing prototype type phase uh, to do market viability testing um, and then going from the market viability testing into the early stage startup uh, through the version one to version two product. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, it uh, shifts more into a maintenance phase and I, I just don't, I don't care anymore. Like, like it's, it's all fun, but it, it's just, you know, at that point, there's a lot of other people that can do it just fine. And so I, I you know, my interest goes somewhere else at that point. So you're more about the chase, the, the startup of yeah. bringing it to fruition. Yep. And so, and so as such, you know, it's like, if you look at my work history, um, you know, the, the places that I've been most effective and almost the only kind of work I've ever done is at inception of concept or problem to actual implementation and release of the first one or two products. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, that, that's my driving force. Uh, you know, the thing which, which really gets me going now is, uh, <clears throat> the, the crypto thing, it, it changes, it changes the paradigm of programming so much and it feeds into my libertarian mindset of, mm. uh, you know, really fighting against power in a way that I can effectively do it. 
Um, and so, you know, programming languages are like my M16 and stuff <laughs> to, the, to the central authorities. And so, um, yeah, it just, it just really excites me. I, I don't feel like I will ever have like, so I'm about 40 right now. So I've got, you know, another 10 to 20 years of really grinding, but really only about 10 years left. Yeah. And, and so, you know, the dot com bubble, I, uh, I was a little too young. You know, I was like 17 or 18. Mm. I was going to college. I wasn't the one that dropped out of college to go do it because I was, I was taught, you know, that you go get a job and work for someone. And so I missed that wave. And there really hasn't been another technology explosion of this magnitude right. since then until now. And, uh, and there won't be another one when I'm young enough to capitalize on it. So I look at crypto as like, this is my one last shot, really the only shot that's actually been given to go and like make a big mark. And, uh, and so I have every intention to go make as big a mark as I possibly can. Um, and so that's, that's what drives me. Uh, the, the other thing is, uh, um, you know, kind of balance things out. You know, I spend a lot of time in solitude and quiet and heavy thought mm. when I'm working. Um, and so on the opposite side of that, I, uh, I'm really into, uh, uh, racing. So I, I've been motocross racing since I was 10 years old. Okay. Um, like dirt bikes. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. On the track. Um, I got sick of ending up in the hospital and broken bones and plates and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. So I, I quit racing on the track when I was in my mid twenties and then got into uh, distance racing in Baja. So I've done uh, the Baja 500 twice. I've done the entire series once the 1000, all that kind of stuff. Um, I want to get back down there in four wheels. Um, and uh, in triathlons, that's that's a that's another big outlet. So I really enjoy nice. doing tries. Um, I did my first sub four hour marathon, which was a big lifelong accomplishment. I always wanted to get done, uh, so I did that uh, this summer. What about a uh, Ironman? Any interest there? Yeah, maybe. I uh, I broke my back snowboarding um, uh, eight years ago, nine years ago. I the the first vertebrate out of my pelvis. I I crushed Ooh. I crushed it down about a centimeter. And I squished a one inch chunk out to the side. Um, and so, uh, and so I, I can't ride a road bike. So I've done one century bike, you know, it took me like six hours, but that's all my back can handle. Yeah. And so if I'm going to go do an Ironman, I'm going to have to go and, uh, and get my back fixed. You're talking about bicycle. Yeah. 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 It's just being in that position for a long period of time. Well, that's the typical triathlon is what running, biking, and a swimming first. Swimming. So, so it oh, goes yeah. in order of what's gonna, what's the most likely to kill you to the safest. So, <laughs> so you're most likely to drown, and then you're most likely to crash at you know twenty to thirty miles an hour on a road bike and die. And then you know by the time you're running, you're so exhausted, but you know you're you're, doing, you're you're only moving at like six seven miles an hour. So yeah, so it's, you'll be okay. <laughs> that's that's why they order it that way. Um, oh god, that's so much work. <laughs> yeah but it's well it's training your brain to love love that grind you know yeah. that's the that's the whole thing and it's it's proven yourself you know that's that's i think that's another big thing um i think all engineers really struggle with like identity crisis mm -hmm. um you know because we're not jocks I, I, i've always been a, a above average athlete not a great athlete but above average and uh but even still you know it's like like you can't you can't go and talk like Dungeons and Dragons to girls and expect to get laid, you know, or like the Hobbit or whatever. Well, I, I mean, it depends on the girl, but yeah, maybe it's changing, but <laughs> it just, as a whole, you know, you're kind of, uh, you're kind of looked at as like weird. And, uh, and so, you know, there's a lot of engineers fall in the trap of like, well, I'm going to prove that I have worth by, uh, by showing off how smart I am. Mm. And, uh, 
you know, no one gives a shit for one and two, it's like, they'll never make you feel okay. And so it just, you know, a lot of the things that I think uh, engineering type person is driven to do is all about like trying to prove their self-worth. Mm. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I think in her, I bring this up because it's like another big drive of mine is just to talk with young men about, you know, how, how can you shortcut some of that stuff? And like, how are, like, what are some of the wisdom you can go seek that will get you to that self-worth spot where you don't have to get hung up by that crap as much. And you can just focus on the things that really matter. Yeah. So like trying to, trying to share with them how to go do that. Nice. Yeah. Um, you know, talking with young men about kind of how to be better men. Yeah. How to go about, you know, not, not telling them what to do, but giving them the tools they need to, to be better men and live better lives. You know, basically the things that have quite often not taught anymore and have been forgotten. Right. Yeah. That's good. That's good that you're doing that. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, so it's, you know, the simple things I, you know, racing, I love increasing freedom and I love, you know, sharing, sharing those life's experiences, boil it all down. So I have a guy that works for me. Uh, He's been with the company 20 something years. He used to do motocross racing, and I was asking him recently, you know, if he ever thought about getting back into it and stuff. And he's like, no, I don't heal like I used to. Yeah, that's the answer. <laughs> With age comes the cage. Yeah, right. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I've been to like motocross um, at the fairgrounds and just watching some of the spills, man. That's that's rough. Oh, it's brutal. Yeah. It's funny as shit when it's the little kids. Oh, right, because you they the just tiny... bounce back. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, babies bounce. You know, they're running around on the little 50s and stuff like that. And they're ruthless, man. God. Oh, man. I, yeah. I watched one kid crash into another trying to go over, like, you know, because their obstacles are like little four-inch branches. You know, it's, they're not very big. He crashes into another kid trying to go over one. And then they both pick up their bikes at the same time. And the one kid that crashed into the other one pushes him back down. I love it. <laughs> yeah. It's a contact sport. So stuff like that's okay. Yeah. It's almost like a, you know, half football game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like a hockey match. You have it's a fight breaks out in the middle. And... Yep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love the sport. It's a, you know, certainly isn't for the faint of heart, but you know, most people get through relatively unscathed. You'll have a few screws in you, but it's a yeah. boy, man. I mean, you, you talk about like learning how to let go. You know, it's like when you're, so I've, I, uh, I raced national seven years in a row, um, at Washougal. And so nice. there's, there's a little bit of, uh, so you, you like earn points going up in the, gosh, I think it's like CNC. I can't remember what the, it's, it's not around anymore, but what the, the racing uh, group was. Um, but so you go to nationals, you know, to try and win these titles at Washougal, uh, would be our region. And so there's like 2,500 racers that show up. And, uh, and the track is just, it's just a much bigger track than anything we normally race on, you know, lap times are in like three and a half, four minute range. And, uh, and you'll get onto a gate and it's a 44 man gate. So there's 44 bikes lined up all next to each other and the gate drops and you know, it's everyone simultaneously is going and there's only about three to four bikes wide that can fit through at the other end. Yeah. And so you got this huge funneling process and, uh, man, I'll tell you, there's this, like you want to shape a young man, like put him on that gate. He's all hopped up anyways. You know what the dangers are because you've been in the hospital before and all that. You've seen your buddies get mm-hmm. hurt. You know, everyone, you know, it's super loud. You can't hear your own bike. And it, you know, you got your family member with you and stuff, you know, your dad, your brother, something like that. And they say, okay, you know, good luck. And they walk back and it's just you in that helmet for about 30 more seconds. 
and you know you take a couple of breaths you try and visualize what you're gonna do here and there's always like the bad thoughts of like dude when this gate drops i'm gonna get i'm gonna get hit i'm gonna get broken i'm gonna end up in an ambulance in like 60 seconds you know you got so you push all that stuff out and you just focus and the guy turns the sign sideways which means the gate's getting ready to drop you know you drop it into second gear you sit up real high and you open the motor just wide open so like imagine just sitting at a red light and you just like floor your car <laughs> and all 44 bikes are doing this so it's just the last thing you can imagine and you're watching that gate and as soon as you see it wiggle you let go of that clutch and it's just pure reactionary chaos madness people bouncing and crashing and just for like the next five straight minutes before you like consciously like wake back up and start thinking about what you're doing it's a totally reactionary for the first lap in a race like that and it just you know you get you get off the track you know you you got hit a few times you know you pass some people you got past it's it's like an entire experience of life's trials and tribulations compacted into like a 15 20 minute sporting outing <laughs> and you do it you know two to four times a day for three days in a row would be the thing and it just it's there's so much growth and you know learning how to control your heart rate learning how to like be calm in in desperate situations it just I really can't think of anything that, that will teach a young man how to be self-reliant than that sport. Yeah, that's intense. When it, and it, it goes towards teaching a lot of other important things too, like you're talking about you know, reaction. Handling situations and, and just being able to assess you know, where you are and what's going on right now and be able to make quick, fast, effective decisions and not just freak the fuck out. Right, yeah. Yeah, because if you freeze, that's when you get really, really hurt. Yeah, especially under pressure. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's uh, I mean, it's almost like a lost art anymore. It, it is. I mean, it's, uh, you know, you, you see it. I, uh, you, you'll be driving, right? And it's, it's, you know, like a little thing. So, like, just a couple months ago, I was driving my wife's car, and this car, like, pulled out in front of us, and it was, there was an oncoming car, and I shot the gap about a car's width of mm -hmm. shooting into the oncoming lane and shooting back without even thinking about it. And we got up to the next light and the car next to me was like, dude, how the hell did you pull that off? And it's like, <laughs> it's, it's like, well, you know, it's, I spent 20 years training my body how to just do. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I agree. It's like a lost art is something, you know, I think it's, it probably taps in a bit to like that, what it would be like to be hunting, like in a hunting party. Hmm. And then it's like the hunts on, you're like throwing the spear, you're doing that, you know, it's just all that reactionary stuff. It's very primal. And I, I agree in our typical life, we just, we, this is not part of it anymore. Yeah. And it, which breaks down to comfort. You know, mm -hmm. we don't have to go out and hunt for our food. We don't have to, we don't have to do any of that stuff. <clears throat> yeah. Which sucks. Yeah. I mean, in a way, I don't want to get up every morning and have to run out into the woods with a loincloth and, you know, stab a tiger <laughs> with a stick. But I mean, there, there is, yeah. <laughs> there is an inherent greatness about having to do something like that. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's just the, the current human experience. Yeah. So. so would you, so would you then, so you are a software engineer? Yeah. I mean, it's more, I, I am, I, I write a lot of code. I mean, more what I am is I'm an algorithm specialist and a, I'm an architecture guy. And so it's like, you know, when I'm starting a company now, I, I almost never write code to begin with. It's about writing like white papers and pitch decks and talking with investors and getting the team built and selling people. And, you know, it's all the human relation things and communication. 
Um, you know, the, the software part is really like after all those other boxes have been checked, mm. then we go write some software to like prove that it's possible until we can hire people to, to go do more of it. So, so your passion is more about working with the customer to find what, what they need and be able to, to, you know, bring, bring it to light and to fruition. I mean, the, the code is obviously a huge part of it, right? It's, huge. I mean, it's the back end of it. It's it's actually making the thing. Yeah. But your drive is more of figuring out how to make what that thing is that they need. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it's you know, it started. I love the code. I still do. You know, but it's just I've been I've been turning that crank for thirty years, and at some point, it's like you mm. kind of get to this level of mastery that it just you know, yeah, I can get a little bit better, but it's, I'm as good as I need to be to accomplish right. anything. And so I, I'm trying to do something harder. And, you know, the way, the way I describe, um, trying to like, like what you're talking about, you know, you find like those, those pain points in people's lives and you figure out a way to fill it. Mm-hmm. And that's basically all business is right. Your sales is about adding value is about communicating how much value you can add to people. So it's like, I can yeah. give you a hundred dollars worth of value for only $20 of your money. That, right. I mean, that's what sales is. And, uh, and so, you know, the way that what the market is like is it's, it's like a TV, like, you know, back in the nineties, we'd have CRT TVs. And when you're standing back, you can see the picture really clear. It doesn't look like there's any gaps in the pixels, Yeah. but you don't have to get that close to it till you can start to see the black spots between it. Well, you know, nowadays there's a lot more businesses out there and there's a lot more entrepreneurs there used to be. So it's, it's kind of like a high def screen now. And so you got to get your nose like a lot closer to the market before you can see the little gaps Mm. inside of the pixels there. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's, it's harder in that way, but, um, it, you know, the, this, the same, the same basic market forces still apply. And so, you know, crypto being, such a a disruption in the way we do business you know it's like you don't have to be that good or that accurate to the market need to still find some success in there yeah Hmm. so what what is what kind of software i mean do you primarily do or is it or is there anything that you specialize in particularly um i mean i've done them all i've uh so I've done a, a lot of embedded coding. So like in, inside of, uh, like microprocessors that are, uh, they, they call it bare, bare metal, hmm. uh, coding. So you, you don't have an operating system and stuff. It basically like boots up and calls one function. And then whatever you build to run outside of that function is just what it does. Real, real time processing. It's kind of like a BIOS or FPGA. Yeah. Sort yeah. Of stuff. Super low down. Yeah. Not so much the FPGA, but more like the BIOS kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah. So FPGA is the field, uh, gate programmable arrays, whatever yeah. order that is, which are in terms of, uh, gaming are awesome at, um, emulating old hardware. Oh man. It, for sure. Like, like, cause they can quite literally just become the old hardware and then, and then do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's that's more of a double E kind of thing, and I, I have worked in on FPGAs and uh, uh, like PLAs. I forget what they are. F, F well, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, you're working with circuits at that point. Um, but no, so I've done a lot of that. Uh, I've done a lot of uh, client server architecture stuff. Um, so like writing front end interfaces and communicating the back. Hmm. Um, you know, the uh, the thing that's really interesting with the crypto stuff is that. Uh, it's this adversarial computation model uh, that no one has ever worked in before. So the way that everything has worked in before, uh, before crypto came along, is that you would create this like walled garden. And you'd say everything inside of this walled garden, I trust all these servers 
any information they calculate, I trust it, you know, any data, any, whatever they do, it's, it's just automatically accepted as truth and fact. And so uh, what crypto did is it said, and, and then you, you harden that exterior and you say everything outside of that I don't trust. Hmm. You know, and that, that's all your companies, that's Amazon, that's everything. That's how everything ran, runs. But with crypto, you say, okay, no walled garden. I don't know if I can trust any system at all, but I'm going to create an incentive-based model for programming that can solve a problem in such a way that is so it's so unlikely and the incentive is so negative that anyone would violate the system I create that through enough systems collaborating, I can trust what's happening more so than I could with the walled garden. Because walled gardens can still have bad actors that get inside, yeah, hacks and all this kind of stuff, bad software, bugs, all these things. You, you really don't have that. You still have bugs, but it's you don't have those bad actors that can actually subvert the network because it, it would cost them more and the reward would be less than just to play nice. And so you just don't have them. Um, and it, and so it's just, it's this in completely different way of thinking. Um, and uh, I, I think that's like also part of the allure is that it's, it's like a new type of problem to go and solve. Hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> um, that's one of, that's one of my biggest things with, um, I mean, Tesla's are awesome and they're cool, but they keep cramming so much more technology and software and hardware into cars. Right. And, uh, I think Toyota is doing it now and BMW, um, you, basically your, your uh, amenities as a subscription. So if you want to be able to remote start your car, right, you have to pay a monthly fee for it because they're trying to, they're trying to streamline the production process to decrease costs is how I've, how it's been explained to me, which is, I mean, that's fine, I suppose, but if you're going to go ahead and you're going to cram all of these extra features into every single car anyway, well, how much money are you really saving if you're, if you're just doing them all that way? You know, the difference in price between a luxury model and a basement model, well, that difference in price is because of the features that you're packing into it. Mm -hmm. um, Quality materials, all yeah, this type of stuff. Yeah, yeah but, but going towards the software end of it, the, the point I was getting at was what bothers me about that is I already paid for the fucking car. It's mine. I'm going to do what I want with it. And I'm not going to pay per month to be able to remote start and all that shit. It's just stupid to me how anybody not only thinks that that's a good business model, but says, oh yeah, fuck, I'll pay an extra hundred dollars a month for a remote start. You're stupid, yeah. in my opinion. Um, but but then you, with all the extra software and all the extra hardware and everything else that you're packing into them, you're leaving that doorway open for bad actors to mm. get into that walled garden. You know, it, it, They've already proven that Tesla has the ability to shut the car down and turn it off of course. remotely. Yeah. And you can argue, you know, the case that everybody argues, well, you know, what if somebody steals my car? It's great. I can just call Tesla and then they can shut it off and the cops will pick them up. Stuff like that. Okay, great. But what if right. somebody decides to take that power and use it for bad things? What if they don't like what you put on Twitter? What if they don't like what you put on Maybe Twitter? Maybe you can't go to yep. work. Yeah, exactly. And so you end up, you know, we end up with the entire, uh, what is it, the um, social... Social credit score. Yes, the social credit score, which they're already implementing in China. I mean, they've been doing it for a while. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if they don't like what you said on Facebook, well, now you can't get a business loan. That's horseshit. Yeah. You know, it's another way of control and to make people fall in line with what you want to do. So, you know, if, if we're sitting here talking 
and one of us says something on this podcast that the government doesn't like, well, and tomorrow they tell Tesla to shut my car off. Well, that's one of the biggest things. Now I don't have the ability to get around. I can't go to work to make money, to, you know, keep the lights on and be able to do this. Um, I can't leave and go somewhere else. I can't move to another state, you know, unless I find somebody with a Tesla that I can borrow or something, you know, I mean, if, yeah. if they were to go the way of all of our vehicles being EV, which is what they want and what they're doing, it's what they're pushing for. Yeah. So the EV, you're totally right. And I, I refuse to be part of this. So both of my vehicles do not have any remote anything mm. because of this. They never will. Um, it's not actually a problem with the EV part. It's just that they're putting this technology on top. So whether it's gas or EV, you can still control it the same way mm. centralized. And, uh, and so all of this is again, the reason why I'm working on the stuff that I am right now, because we, the only reason why they are getting that control is because the computing model says that you have to have a trusted third party in order to intercommunicate with devices and things like this. And with the, the crypto way of doing things with, with general purpose, distributed, non-owned computing networks, you can accomplish all of the same tasks without having anyone else, but you actually have the control to do it. So you could have a remote start that would only work if you have the private key that's paired to your car. And the only way you could do that is if you were the one who did it. Hmm. So you would have full control to shut your car on and off, do whatever the hell you want to it, start it, stop it, crash and kill someone who steals it, whatever. But it's just you and no one else could tap into that. And that's a real future. And so that's, that's the one that I want to go create. Nice. Yeah. I like it. So my interest in this is, on, honestly, my inspiration is mostly Dan Cummins to start with, the comedian. Um, I've been listening to his comedy for years, and so he started, it's called Time Suck, and that was the first one that he did. And what he does is he just chooses you know, a random topic, usually serial killers or you know, stuff that's going on, like nice lighthearted. Yeah. Right. A lot <laughs> of it is serial killers. And he, and he just goes through the history of like everything and everyone. And, and it just does these crazy stories and he does a lot of fact checking and all that. And he's grown it so big now that he has a team of people working for him. That's doing all the research and you know, they, they write his scripts for him and stuff. And then he just goes over him and it's not just him pulling shit off of Wikipedia. Like he goes, he goes and scours the internet or as people do now. Um, but when he started, he started with just his laptop in a, in a hotel room. And so he just took his laptop, bought a microphone at Walmart, and then just started doing them, you know, cause you're in a hotel and what are you going to do? I mean, comedians always talk about their whole life is sitting in hotels every night, beating off and falling asleep. Well, right. I was just going <laughs> to say, you can only jerk off so much. Yeah. <laughs> so between, eventually you get a rash. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> well, right now this hurts. I'm gonna do it again, but maybe not, maybe not right now. <laughs> ow, ow, ow. Uh, but so mostly him and uh, Joe Rogan. I mean, I listen to Joe a lot. Yeah, for sure. How can you not? Yeah. I mean, who doesn't, right? Mm -hmm. He's the biggest podcast on the planet. Uh, but yeah, those, those are the things that inspired me. And, and I said, man, if, if Dan Cummins can do it in a hotel room with a laptop and a microphone, why can't I? So that's pretty much where this came from. It's just, was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And obviously, I mean, I don't have access to celebrities and stuff like that. So I said, well, what can I do it on? And I thought, why not just talk to regular people like my friends or anybody else? I mean, construction workers, doctors, you know, I mean, anybody 
because everybody has a story. Yeah. You know, or, and everybody has their own opinion on stuff. And, and so many people out there today are so concerned with what celebrities think, you know, Oh, how does Lady Gaga feel about this? And mm. like, she's just a normal person like anybody else. You know, why do people put so much faith in them? You know, everybody has opinions, you know, that doesn't make them right. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think, uh, it definitely feels like there's some kind of awakening that's been happening lately. The, uh, the level of topics that the average person is engaged in has, has gotten a lot deeper than it used to be. Um, I think, uh, the, the days of people just arguing about sports and things like that, <laughs> it's, it's a little bit behind us. What, what, what I mean is that there's a, it, it feels like current events, uh, are playing a heavier role in the average person's life these yeah. days. And so just out of pure necessity, people have had to start paying more attention to that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, really they should, you know, I mean, we've gotten to a modern age where there's so much technology and life is so easy that people forget that there are things that are happening behind the scenes that we just don't think about because mm -hmm. we're so sedated with our TV and computers and cars and just trying to make a living, you know, especially right now with inflation and everything else, people have so much stuff to worry about. You know, they don't seem to think anymore. Um, we should probably be thinking about the crap that they're doing and the choices they're making that affect us that we're not really paying attention to. Yeah. Yeah. It's, we, we're really at a point, uh, where, you know, the freedoms that we just take for granted that were handed to us, uh, are attempting to be ripped away at the roots. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's, uh, this huge centralization of power that's happening. Um, and this entirely new non-humanistic, um, very, uh, scarcity mindset way of thinking that's been adopted by a lot of people yeah. at the, at the highest levels. Um, and as, a you know, technology centralized has centralized um, intercommunication. Uh, there's there's this real push right now to get towards this centralized government, um, and and it's just you know unfortunately it just is not well. Unfortunately, the the one world government is not congruent with our ideals, but it's probably not unfortunate because if they were congruent, then I think it would be accepted with today's youth. And then at some point in time, the, the types of policies they're pushing now uh, would be inflicted on us later and it'd be too late. Yeah. What they're doing with our youth. I mean, it's just like drug dealers hook them while they're young. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're Groom them when they're young. Exactly. It's the same stuff as, I mean, some pedophile that's been training some kid to just think that shit is normal when it's not, it's the same shit. You know, you see it rampant in colleges and everywhere else. I mean, and, and it's gone so far now as elementary schools all of the stuff that they're doing. And, you know, it, again, everybody has their own opinions. There's a lot of people out there who disagree with what they're doing, but there's a lot of people who just, oh, whatever. Yeah. And, and the kids just don't have the experience to know the difference. Yeah, they don't. It, it, they're trying to say that 16-year-olds and stuff should be able to vote. It's like, really? So you want, you want them <laughs> think, to yeah. vote and decide who runs our country and makes decisions that affect our daily lives, yet you don't want them to smoke or have a beer. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, as far as that goes, um, I mean, it, it should be, uh, it should be like 21 to vote. Honestly, it, yeah. whatever it should be 21 to vote for a citizen, unless you take up arms and you're in the military forces, then I think you yeah. should be able to accelerate because you should have a choice at that point of what's being done to you. Um, right. And when it comes to 
drinking, uh, smoking, all that type of stuff, it should, it should be lowered to 16, in my opinion. Um, I, uh, I was a policymaker for a time uh, at a fraternity. I was serving on the Board of Governors, and it was the most peculiar experience because we had to write policies knowing that these policies are violating federal and state law, but you had to be realistic about how they were going to be applied. The 18-year-olds are going to be drinking, and so it's this awkward tightrope that you have to walk between, you know, setting up how are we going to handle the the drunk, passed out, you know, potentially life-threatening, uh, intoxicated 19-year-old in written form while also protecting ourselves to say it's not okay to drink unless you're 21. Yeah. And it, it's, a, uh, you know, it, it's like anything. Um, you can't, uh, you can't control people by telling them no, you know, the, the best thing you can do is you can educate people through experience, which gains wisdom. And then through that wisdom, they can hopefully make a choice that's beneficial for their life. Hmm. That's the only way. Yeah. Colleges, I think these days are just the worst. I couldn't imagine going to college now. I mean, not just because I'm older, but <laughs> just the politics. They wouldn't let you in. <laughs> Probably not, right? As soon as they got, as soon as somebody or anybody probably pulled up this podcast and listened to half the shit that I've ever said, they'd be like, nope, not that guy. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, well, I just actually got to spend some time. Uh, we had our uh, reunion in my fraternity. And, oh, so, nice. and so I just had a chance to talk with a bunch of the kids and I spent a fair amount of time um, just asking them, you know, what's college life like these days with council culture? And I, it, it's, it's what you'd expect. You know, there's, there's a few wackos out there. Um, there's definitely propaganda uh, in written form up on signs around campus and things. Mm. Um, but, you know, they see through that every bit as much as the adults do. Uh, they're, they're not stupid. Um, I think the thing, the thing that's the problem is that there used to be a more centrist position uh, that was taken and that has slowly been shifted more towards an author authoritarian way of thinking. Um, and I, I don't, I don't believe that they'd necessarily even realize that they're going closer to that. Um, and it's, it's this socialist, gosh, what did you call it? It's this socialist agenda that the government is going to be able to do better than what the private sector has done, mm. you know, which, I mean, whatever your opinions are on that, it just, you know, the, the act of centralizing control removes the feedback loop that you, that an organization needs to be able to serve their customers well. Yeah. And, and I, I just don't think that the kids see it, you know, they're, they're, they're eager to retry humanity's worst ideas all over again. Yeah, well, and that's going to happen when you're trying to rewrite history and you're trying to change, you know, everything in the textbooks that we've ever been taught. You know, and, and I mean, not all of it's bad. You know, we're we're coming into a future of history books where we're starting to talk more about the stuff that Columbus did when he came over here. Because when I was in school, we were taught that, you know, he was this great man who discovered, you know, everything and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, eh, I mean, he did some good stuff. Sure. A lot of it by accident, I would say. But he wasn't a great guy. He did some pretty awful shit, too. And, and it's good to learn those things so that, you know, exactly where we came from because if you don't and especially if you try to change history and you're trying to erase all the bad stuff that happened just because you don't want to be triggered and oh well you know we're we're too scared of that you know that's that's gonna bring fear into people well good you have to be able to see the horrible awful shit that has happened too along with all the good stuff 
so that you don't make the same mistakes again. Yep. Yep. That, that's a hundred percent correct. And, you know, rewriting the books, whether through good intentions or otherwise, um, it always takes you away from that. Like you, you have to give people the information as accurately and as unbiased, or if there is bias, then to be very blatant, you know, go full biased and give both sides yeah. or all three sides, however many there are, and then let the person internalize it and make their own decision. Yeah. It, yeah, it's, you know, it's information warfare. Um, and, and that's okay. It's been going on forever. So I, I think that the, the most important thing is to, is to keep pushing the youth towards like, like keep, you know, us as, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of like the ones running things now, you know, I'm almost 40. Like it's, you know, that's roughly the age where you're kind of calling the shots of the world. And so it's, it's our job to just make sure that we, we continually challenge the kids. Um, you know, one of the big things that I, I kind of saw was uh, society as a whole has really been demonizing masculinity and men. Mm, and yeah. so these, these kids, they, they quite literally uh, are at this place where they basically have to choose between feeling like they're part of society or being honest with what they feel about themselves. Mm -hmm. And, and so that, that's where most of them uh, just kind of like reject what current culture is doing. And it's really a shame, um, you know, like, like it's, it, we really need to be making sure to continue to push men to do difficult, hard things um, and to seek that discomfort and to act actively train your brain to enjoy it while you're experiencing it. Um, it's, it's incredible how thirsty they are for it. Um, but yeah, it's looked down on so much from people on the outside. Yeah. Well, we're, we're definitely on the, I would say the downslope of that whole dichotomy of what it strong men make good times, good times, make weak men, weak men, make hard times, hard times, make strong men. It's a cycle. Yeah. And we're, we're definitely in the decline as far as I see. Yeah. I mean, we are, we're plagued by comfort. Things we have are. been too easy. Um, you know, and it's, I, I think it's our generation's fault. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think that we are the weak men as yeah. a generation. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, and, and all the stuff, all the stuff that I've been doing to try and become a better man, you know, and be stronger and, you know, be more genuine and, and thoughtful stuff like that. Just doing this podcast alone, you know, having facing fear and adversity and just going with the flow and, and doing something. I mean, this is totally out of my comfort zone. You know, <laughs> I'm just thinking about it yesterday. Never thought that I would ever do something like this, but it was like, okay, I'm very anxious about this and it's, it's kind of gnawing in a way, but I'm like, I, I, if I don't do it, I'll never do it. And so you have to just be strong and yeah. just do it. Well, you have a good voice for it and you, you have a face for radio. So <laughs> a face for radio. <laughs> nice. Uh, sorry, dad joke. I can't help myself. Wah, wah. Wah, wah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, that's a, one of the things I actually just did in our podcast uh, yesterday, um, talking about religion and, uh, it was interesting, but, um, you know, any podcast that I end up being on now, I, I can't help but talk about, uh, cryptocurrency and, um, hmm. You know, it, it really dovetails into what, what we're talking about here is that, um, you know, on one end, there has to be a cultural shift back to, you know, men just need to be leaders. It's just a fact. And it's not about putting any other group down right. or anything. And it's not even about us having a higher position. It's actually a, a burden. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a real unfortunate responsibility, but it's just something that, that men need to do. Um, but what's, what's wonderful is that on the technology side, um, you know, this, this is where 
I'm so excited about cryptocurrency because for the the longest time, really about 20 years now, early 2000s, you know, the, the internet was extremely decentralized and ex extremely free and open, and uh, and just through normal market forces of, you know, certain companies created products which offered goods in a better, more effective, cheaper, lazy, convenient way, and so as such, they grew because the the value flowed into them, and then with all that power. Uh, they, you know, have unfortunately kind of turned against their original ideals and promises. And so, uh, and so the, the whole crypto movement, it's a, it's actually a, a new computing paradigm that allows us to solve problems in a way that we've never been able to solve them before. Yeah. Such as, for example. <clears throat> yeah. Um, well, so the, the whole entire thing, um, anyone that hasn't, I uh, strongly encourage them to uh, read the uh, Satoshi Yakimoto's uh, white paper on Bitcoin. It's about eight pages long, uh, 12 sections, and it's, uh, it's very eloquently written. Anyone with a tech or non-tech background can, can understand what he's talking about. Hmm. Um, now, Satoshi, he, air quotes, is the creator of Bitcoin, right? Yeah. Or at least that's what they think. Well, certainly, it, the name is the is the avatar that created Bitcoin. Okay. Whether Satoshi was a single person, multiple people, you know, you, you can go as far down that rabbit hole as you want. You know, the correct answer is nobody knows and no one ever will. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's yeah, no one will ever. Um, but the, uh, so, so the, the whole entire thing comes from, it's a, it's called the double spend problem and it, it goes back to the uh, Byzantine generals problem. And so the, the, the idea is that you, when you're communicating over a digital medium, you don't know if you're being lied to hmm. and you can also uh, recreate as many of those digital assets as you want. And so the double spend problem goes something like this, that if you and I are going to have a transaction that I have a digital token, right? So I, I've got a, a text file I've created on my computer. So I'm going to send that file over to you. And now you have a copy of that file, which means I effectively have given you, it's like giving you a dollar. But there's no guarantees that you can have in that system that I don't have a copy of that file and that I won't try and give that file to somebody else. Right. And so that's the double spend problem. And the way that we have gotten around that up until just, you know, 2009 is about when Bitcoin came out. Um, so the only way that we could get around that before is that you'd have a third party mediator in the middle, like a bank or Visa or somebody like that. And so you'd send your token to them and they would basically take that token cancel out your value that you have with them and then issue a new one to the other person. So that works, but it requires a trusted third party. And we've seen all the issues around that. And that, that, that basic concept, it goes way past currency. I mean, that, that can be intercommunication like Facebook, it can be Twitter, mm -hmm. it, it can be any, any exchange of information. And so, uh, and so what Satoshi proposed with the Bitcoin white paper and it's the whole fundamental part of, blo of blockchain, but it, what it is, is that instead of, so it's still a peer to peer. So you, so you are a peer, I'm a peer, we're going to communicate directly, but what we're going to do is we're going to communicate through this collection of servers that no one person owns and is mathematically verifiable that no one person owns. Hmm. And so that becomes the trusted third party as those servers. And the way that we're going to communicate is with this shared ledger. And so effectively what that, what that means is that every, in Bitcoin's case, every 10 minutes, there's a, so any number of transactions can be submitted to the, the collection of servers. You yes. know, I, I want to trade with Dave, I want to do the, whatever. So 
any given server can select any number of those transactions up to one megabyte, which is an arbitrary number. It's been argued about. There's no right answer or wrong answer why they pick that. It just is. Just something somebody said, yeah, let's do one megabyte. Yep. Sure. Yep, sure. Done. Yeah. And so, so, in the, so all the servers, they'll bundle up all the transactions that they want to support, and then uh, they take the last block, and then they take their public key, so this is how they're going to be paid if they get it, and then they start doing a mathematical calculation. And what they're looking for is to get an answer that is uh, quickly verifiable by any other party, but extremely difficult to recalculate. Hmm. And so what that is, is it's a number of, of successive zeros in a hash function. And so with, with that, so the hash function they use, the SHA-256, there's 256 ones and zeros yeah. in each block. And they'll say for any given block that it's, you know, they'll pick a number and it's based on how long it took the last block to sign. They'll say, I need 32 zeros. And so you start testing random numbers until you find a combination that gives you 32 zero bits at the beginning. And the first one to do that says, hey, I have an answer. All the other nodes check it. They're like, yep, Dave has an answer. Here's your Bitcoin as a reward. And now all those transactions are signed on the ledger, which is the act of, of causing the exchange to happen. Yeah. And so now you can do that. You can trust, you don't have to trust these nodes and you don't need a third party. And the ledger itself is decentralized. Yes. Yeah. Because yes. it, it's not in a bank. It's not anywhere else where somebody has control of it. The computers and the servers themselves are keeping track of it. It's open to them. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Every Everyone keeps a copy. And so it... So it's like, what does all that matter, right? There's a lot of jargon. Well, the, the implications of that is that instead of having an ownership model of computation where Visa creates a product that's closed source that they own, that you come to and communicate in this way, now you have an incentive model where there's financial incentives to run these servers, and now anyone can communicate without the ownership piece in there. Hmm. And, uh, and so that it's, it quite literally is a Trojan horse that's built to destroy centralized authority. Which, of course, they hate. Which they hate. Yeah. They can't control it. And so, um, and so this, is where, this is where people really kind of get in the weeds, is that, you know, this, so Bitcoin is like the, the first reference implementation of this standard. But in my opinion, the, the real value of this is still yet to be seen. The, it's actually the exchange of any data, not just a currency, the, the, the value mm -hmm. proposition is, and it's this new paradigm of incentive-based computing instead of ownership proprietary-based computing. Hmm. And that's what gets me so excited. <laughs> so I'm so excited. So excited. <laughs> and you just can't <laughs> So now what's the difference with, because I've heard a lot of different things about like Bitcoin and Ethereum and Dogecoin and all this, and it, and it seems like it's so simple now to just create a coin. Like, yeah. uh, is, can, isn't there a website you can go on to where you can just create a coin? Sure. Five yeah. minutes, it's ERC20 token is the common one. Yeah. Um, but basically, that means you're going to be running on the Ethereum network with your own coin. Anyone can do it. Yeah. Yeah. So so there's Bitcoin, but then I've heard that there's differences between all of them. And, and a lot of people that I've seen are like gravitating towards Ethereum and all that. So what exactly is the difference? Yeah. So um, I've heard numerous things, but I, I never can just grasp you know, a, a solid concept of what the differences actually are. Because I'm, I'm a dumbass. I don't know shit about oh, you know, coins no, and all you're that. You're not a dumbass. I mean, that's, but, that's why I'm interested. Well, so, I mean, gosh, I so I have a computer science degree. I've been doing this 30 years, and it, it literally took me years 
to figure this stuff out. I mean, I have a math degree, all this stuff. You know, it, it's extremely, it's it's not that it's so complicated. It's, it's an extremely foreign concept and understanding the implications of this small change takes a long time to really wrap your head around. Um, so it's not you. So as far as, so there's, in my opinion, there's, there's like two categories of crypto just in general. Mm -hmm. And there's only about one in the first category, which is Bitcoin. And then every other coin falls into the second category. And so the two categories go something like this, that Bitcoin is more like a constitution to where no one actually has control or can redirect the network. They can't change the block size. They can't change how many tokens there are. They can't change the proof of work. Like Bitcoin will run the way that Bitcoin's runs for 200 years. There's no group that can alter that. And then basically every other coin other than that has an oligarchy that can change the fundamental rules if they wish. Mm -hmm. And so this is where Ethereum, so uh, Volteric Buterin, who created Ethereum, uh, came up with a super smart tweak on Bitcoin. He came up with a way to run little bits of software on each transaction. Hmm. And so this is where, if you've ever heard of a smart contract, that's what it is. It's, it's running a little bit of logic on your transactions. And so the implications of that are massive. This is where NFTs came from. This is where you can create any coin you want through the ERC-20 standard, hmm. um, any of that kind of stuff. And so Ethereum, from a technical perspective, is, is far more advanced than Bitcoin with that small tweak, but um, they can change the rules. And so we've yeah. seen a hard fork. We've seen it move from proof of work to proof of stake. You know, we, we've seen uh, changes in the way the uh, transaction fees are dealt with. Huge, massive, under you know, fundamental changes in the underpinnings of it at the whim of one dude with a few other people behind him. Okay, so that makes more sense now. So, I mean, Bitcoin was originally created by, you know, God knows who, and, and it put out there, and it's locked. It is what it is. The guy kind of just you know, or whoever, they, they put it out into the world and they said, this is what it is and no one's ever going to change it. And, and there's only, there's a finite amount of Bitcoins too, right? 21 million. Yeah, yeah. so 21 million Bitcoins out there. And, it, you know, there, uh, there's a story of that guy who's been rummaging through a dump for, what, eight years now? Yeah. Trying to find a hard drive? Last I read, <laughs> it was like $34 billion worth of Bitcoin is on a thumb drive out in this dump. Yeah, which is gone cool. now. Because if he doesn't find it, then <clears throat> no one's ever going to get it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So then what you're saying is Ethereum, I mean, basic same concept, but now we have the problem of someone can finagle with it. Someone can change the rules, which I mean, that kind of sucks. Yeah. Because then that means the government can also get in there and do whatever the hell they want with it. They could put stuff on there where they could track everybody's movements and what goes where and all that stuff, which one could argue maybe that's a good thing in some cases because, yeah, then you can see if terrorists are using it to pay each other and what they're buying with it and all stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I mean, I'll say the same thing that I've always said. How much is security really worth? Is it worth all of your rights? Is it worth somebody prying into all of your shit? And there's so many people out there that are like, you know, well, what do I care? I have nothing to hide. Yeah. It, it, and I think I talked about this with JJ too. It, it doesn't matter if you have nothing to hide. Well, it, it's like, it's like saying like, like freedom of speech. Like, I don't care if, if we have freedom of speech and it's like, well, it's probably cause you have nothing to say. Yeah. Because you're a boring <laughs> fuck and nobody's going to listen to you anyway. Cause you have right. nothing, you know, <laughs> private citizens need to be private. Public citizens should be public and it's yeah. the opposite. Yeah. It very much so is. 
yeah, I, I don't care whether I have anything to hide or not. I don't want people prying into my shit because it's nobody else's business what I'm doing in, in, in the privacy of my own home, in my car, in my life. It's, it's for me to know. That's right. And me to let in whoever I want to let in. Yeah. Not just anybody, you know, the NSA or anybody else who's listening to this podcast as soon as it's published. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and this is where I, I think it's a, I think it's a missing right that should be in the constitution that, um, you know, anyone should have, should, anyone should have the right to be able to store value. So it's not investment, but anyone should have the right to be able to store value in whatever method they deem worthy mm. and not be taxed for that. And so, you know, I, I don't, uh, because I'm not huge into metals, but you know, if you, if you make a paycheck, you pay your taxes on it and then you buy silver or gold and you throw that in your safe. Yeah. That's, that should be the finality of the transaction as far as the government's concerned. Yeah. Which, I mean, I know guys that do that for sure. Yeah. yeah. I, I know guys too. I mean, we live in North Idaho, right? right. Like there's a bunch of, yeah. like, this is going to be the last holdout when at least, at least one family. house on every block has a guy like that. For sure. <laughs> for sure. And so, but the government doesn't have any right you know, the, the guy, like, like that's his choice to do what he wants with his money that he has paid taxes on. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, digitally, there's no way to do that. And that's where the whole KYC thing, you know, I'm really against it. I, I know, like you said, the argument is always that it's illicit behavior, money laundering and all that type of stuff. And mm -hmm. so my response to that is, well, first, you know, drugs shouldn't be illegal in the first place that would solve a lot of these problems. Mm, yeah. You know, second, if you're worried about, you know, weapon smuggling and stuff, the, the biggest biggest arms dealer is the u.s government yes so they can just inspect <laughs> themselves to begin with and then deal with us later yeah um and so from a digital perspective you know you should have the right to be able to buy bitcoin and store it forever if you want mm. and not have anyone know about it yeah yeah it should be private it's again it's it's for you to know and you to tell anyone you want to tell or not yeah it's your business nobody else's totally it is so so something that's fun to think about, you were talking about that thumb drive that was lost. Yeah. Um, so uh, the basic method of this encryption scheme is called uh, RSA. Yes. Um, and basically what it is is that you, I, I calculate two random numbers based off of the, the first one I calculate. So the second's based off the first that I calculate. And effectively, the way that you can think about it is it, it's like a, like a one-way walkie-talkie where in between the two, no one can understand the message. And so it's the public private key is the thing. So I create a public private key pair, which is known as a wallet mm -hmm. in crypto terms. And then I can give my public key out to anyone I want. And then they can, you know, send Bitcoin like we talked about to that public address and it will sit on the ledger. Now I have my private key, which is hidden. I don't tell anyone about it. And with that private key, I can sign a transaction, which proves that I am in control of that private key, mm -hmm. which when put onto the ledger, again, like we talked about, causes one of the nodes to pick it up and then sign that onto the ledger, which is an on-chain transfer of the thing. So you with Bitcoin, you can do off-chain transfers where you could just give someone your private key if you wanted to, and then no one knows the difference, right? There's no electronic move, but the money is... But that would give them access to your wallet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, well, but if, again, so if you want to do an off-chain settlement, so the danger is actually to the person uh, receiving it because they don't know if you have a copy of that or not. Oh, right. Um, but the interesting thing is that, so what does that all actually mean? Well, the way that this literally works, literally, and it, it's, it's scary to think about it first, but then we'll explain why it's not scary, is it's, it's kind of like if you imagine a parking lot. And so I'm going to, you know, so imagine 30 slots in the parking lot. I'm just going to randomly pick one of those slots, slot number seven. 
And so I'm going to say, okay, that's my private key. And then the public key is calculated off of that. And then as long as nobody guesses that I'm holding onto slot number seven, hmm. then I will own my coins. But if somebody guesses that slot number seven is mine, then they can act just like me. Hmm. That's literally all it is. Now, the, w the reason why it works is that the, the space is in 256 bits, which it's, it's like all of the atoms in the known universe is like 10 to the 87th power, and this is 10 to the 77th power. So it's like, it's just a little bit smaller than all the possible atoms to guess in the entire <laughs> known universe. So, so it's very unlikely that they'll guess the number, but that's literally all the encryption is, is that it's, it's just a really, really big random number that you just happen to pick. And since you're the only one that picked it, it's yours. It's just interesting to think like everyone thinks about like, like more of the stuff, like a lockbox at a bank. There's like this physical spot that I'm given, but it's really not. It's, it's just this giant open space where you just grab a spot. You're like, okay, cool. As long as no one knows I grab this one, then we're good. Yeah. And you have the key. <laughs> and you have the key. So, yeah. So, you know, my, what I see is the next big shift with this um, and, you know, plug, I mean, the, this is, or, shameless shield this is actually what i've been uh, writing a white paper on but uh in my opinion the the non-fungible token side is actually the next big breakthrough and it, it's not pictures of apes and all this type of stuff yeah you know that's it's it's an example of how the technology could be used but it's pretty poor um when we, and we've talked about nfts before and, and i remember i remember your take on it was that it's it's basically just like a digital copy of a grocery store receipt Great way to think about it, yeah. Yeah, well, that that was, I remember yeah. that was what you were saying. And it's really <laughs> worth nothing, right? Which is, I mean, pretty much the same as anything. It's it's only worth the value that we put into it. Yeah, well, the receipt could, yes, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, what can the receipt do for you? So if the receipt is a, a you know, floor ticket access to a concert you want to go to, mm, you know, yeah. it's got a hundred bucks of value. If it's if it's access to an investor community that only allows 20, 30 people, you know, maybe that's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know yeah. what I mean? So it, that's the idea is that you're, you're basically buying access into a community. That's how it's been used so far. Well, yeah. And, and exactly what is it that makes it valuable, right? Because everybody wants to be elite. So you talk about an investment community that only has a certain amount of, you know, people in it that they let in or whatever. Yeah. So ticket to paradise, right? Everybody wants what they can't have. They want to be on the level of, you know, everybody else. Oh, I mean, that's, I mean, essentially that's why people are so obsessed with celebrities, I think. I mean, and, and because they display a lifestyle that's so much better than ours. Yeah. Well, why is that? Because they make shit tons of money. They can do whatever the hell they want. You know, they can jump on their yacht and go sailing to Tahiti anytime they want, whereas we can't. Mm -hmm. So we obsess over it. It's like, oh my God, that looks so great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's all, it's all part of the, uh keeping people wanting but never achieving i wonder if they'll ever uh make jennifer lopez's booty an nft <laughs> <laughs> i don't know does it let you get in there that's <laughs> hey, oh yeah how much would someone spend for that <laughs> i don't know <laughs> probably a lot but so the the interesting thing uh with that is that it's uh it, it's what you just said so the the value of these things is only derived based on who minted it so you brought it up earlier we could go create our own coin right it really has no value because it's you know us creating it doesn't give people special access to anything, mm. um, and so that's where uh, that's where the same type of breakthrough that was required with Bitcoin is required in the NFT world. To where instead of instead of the person who created it 
giving it the value through their their access that they have. So you're basically given an extension of the access of the creator. Yeah. Um, you need a mathematically scarce way to represent all NFTs in a large namespace so that so the act of a scarce name creates the value. And so hmm. what does all that mean? Well, uh, an easy example is to think about a DNS. So when you go into your computer, you open up a browser, you type in amazon.com. Um, so that's a domain name, name server resolution. So you're typing in a name, it goes out to a, a server owned by VeriSign. They say the Amazon servers live over here. It gives you an address. And then your computer goes to that address to talk with those servers and it brings up the website. Yeah. So no matter where you are in the world, when you type in amazon.com, that goes down to one specific answer inside of DNS. And so creating a system that doesn't require that VeriSign authority in there, again, removing the third party, creates the same kind of value proposition of this decentralization. No one owns it, but it still has value because the act of typing in the question always gives you the same answer. And yeah. so this is where the mathematical scarcity can replace the central authority. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I am a little bit of a computer nerd. So the, the whole domain, domain name server process, I've been kind of versed on that for, I mean, I've had the internet since, okay, and I can't even remember when. I remember old my mom being on dial-up, you know, back in the BBS days, oh, when man. you you would dial in and you could leave a message on a board for somebody, and then they'd have to dial in and all that, yada yada yada. <clears throat> so yeah, it's it's interesting, like you said, uh, anytime you type in Amazon.com, it doesn't really mean anything because it has to go find out where that is, and it's just going because you know in the old days when it first started, so like DARPA and stuff like that, that's all you had was the numeric address. That's right. You know, whoever's IP it was. And it's a pain in the ass. Nobody can remember numbers unless you write them down. So that's where that came from. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Natural progression. So, but it's a, it's a crazy, like, like, you know, DNS doesn't necessarily need to be revolutionized because it really hasn't been abused, but it's an example of a really crazy system that drives the entire economic engine of the world. Yeah. And uh, if you dive into it um, at the very top, there's five guys which have private keys in what's called a multi-sig wallet. So it works the same way like we talk, but you just need uh, four of the five keys in order to, to do that same operation. And uh, those guys can get together and do what's called a key ceremony where they, they show up, they enter in their password, they unlock their private key and literally change any fundamental piece of data to route people anywhere in the world and every single server will just t accept it unquestioningly. And so there's literally like four dudes could get together and stop the internet tomorrow if they wanted to, literally. Well, I mean, Google alone could do that. They've done it in yep. a sense. Another another huge threat. Yeah, Google is such a big yeah. root server in I mean, the system that they could literally subvert the internet if they wanted. Yeah, they've <clears throat> conglomerated, I mean, quite a huge chunk of it. You know, we had, we had that happen when somebody accidentally pushed the wrong button, screwed up some of their routers, and next thing you know, you know, half the world can't get to, you know, a few dozen thousand websites. It's kind of ridiculous to think about. Yep. That's all it takes is one guy to have a few too many drinks the night before and he's got a <laughs> headache and he's trying to figure out, oh, fuck, what do I do? That's right. Yeah. So it's, in my opinion, that area is uh, just, just ripe for, for change right now. And, uh, and the good news is that, you know, when, when Satoshi launched, there certainly wasn't any money because no one knew what the hell he was even talking about at mm. the time. You know, I heard about Bitcoin in like 2011, I think, 2012. Yeah, the that's coin. about when I started hearing about it. Yeah, it's like 
four or five bucks, something like that. Yeah, when it was super cheap. Yeah. And everybody was like, ah, that's stupid. That'll never go anywhere. And now it's like, fuck, why didn't I buy that? That's what I said, right? <laughs> it, it didn't occur to me. Um, so, you know, I think that the NFT world is is sort of in that same kind of space right now. And I think it's going to take like in our five to 10 years for people catch on. But I think the smart money is aware of it right now. And I think that people are open to start toying around with the technology. Hmm. Yeah, I'm definitely open to it. It's something I've been thinking a lot about is trying to get into more of that stuff. I mean, I'm still still not sure about the NFTs, but I, I definitely have been looking into you know, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and maybe trying to make some moves in that. Yeah. Because, I mean, at the, at the very least, it's just interesting to me, you know, how the whole thing works. It's just crazy. No, it's awesome. <laughs> it yeah. is awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all I can tell you, you know, not financial advisor, all those stupid disclaimers but uh you know if you know for the people that don't know uh, bitcoin is the only answer to put money into mm. you know it's not as sexy and it's it's less volatile than it used to be but long term it is guaranteed to run for the next 200 years the way the same way it is now or at least 130 years until the blocks run out um yeah well and that's and that's one of the things people don't think about is the long term there's there's a lot of people that you know i've i've either read about or people that i know that dabble in it that have kind of freaked out you know, when it, it drops so much in a day or a week or something like that. And I'm like, yeah, but if you look at it as a long-term investment, I mean, it, it can be volatile, but if, you, if you're not going to be just using it every day and you're just using it as an investment, you got to wait. It's going to go down, but then it's going to come back up. And then at some point it may go down again and then it, then it may come back up, mm-hmm. you know, and you just have to be patient and don't freak the fuck out because <laughs> you lose a, you know, a thousand dollars in a week. You'll get it back eventually. It's not going to go anywhere. You know, like we just talked about, it's decentralized. It's one of the, if not the best one that there possibly is because people can't fuck with it. That's right. Yeah. yeah that's, that's definitely right. probably the one that I would, I'm going to go with. Yep. It's a, it's a, it's a guaranteed bet. So, you know, make sure you get a cold storage wallet set up. Cold storage wallet? Cold storage. Um, there's uh, hardware versions, which are easier to do. There's software versions. Um, but yeah, you basically, it's, it's non-custodial which means that you're the only one in control of it. So if you lose it, then okay. you're going to be the guy out in the dump. I'm the guy in the dump yeah. searching through <laughs> thousands and thousands of pounds of junk. That's right. <laughs> so don't be that guy. Uh, a real common thing, it's a mnemonic phrase, is the, the term, it's 12 words, which makes up your private key. Hmm. Um, and, you uh, make a little poem or a haiku. Well, it, it'll make it for you. You just memorize it, but people uh, pound it into metal. So if you get an oh, engraver nice. or something like that, you know, you've access that. So engrave it into metal and then you can throw it in your safe and... It's, that'd be cool to do that and then like create you know uh, like a family coat of arms and just make like a big sign that you can hang on the wall in your living room you know and nobody understands why the hell you have all these words on there but you're like yeah that's just our family slogan i love it yeah big scavenger hunt they'll make a movie about it yeah later. it's hidden it's in genius. plain sight <laughs> dave's coins yeah it's a thriller uh yeah yep so map of the pirate treasure yeah, gosh. So I, uh, like I was saying yesterday, I um, was on a podcast talking about religion, which was pretty interesting. Um, I was yeah. describing myself as a Christian, but then I was told that I'm not uh, by the guy that's officially a Christian. So, mm. so that that was an <laughs> was an interesting experience. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a. I don't know. It's it's so funny because um, like I I don't know where you stand with with all that kind of stuff, but. Uh, you know, I just, I've found it impossible lately to just keep walking like the normal Christian life. 
yeah. and, and started stretching out for answers. And it's just, it's so interesting how different people react. Like some people come forward and be like, oh my gosh, like I like you so much more now that you're not trying to argue for this thing that you can't be sure of. Mm. Um, you know, and then other people are like, you know, you're not part of the club anymore. So you're a different kind of class of human. Yeah. I don't trust you the same way I used to. Well, and it's interesting that you bring that up. That's, I, and I don't care who knows it. I don't care. I'll talk about it. Um, I'm more agnostic myself. I'm not going to sit here. I'm gonna, not going to say, you know, oh, that, you know, God and all that doesn't exist or that anybody else is stupid for believing what they believe. You, you know, you do your own thing. You do you. Whatever makes you feel good and whatever makes you happy to be alive and gives you hope that there is something beyond yourself. Cool. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't change my life one iota. So I'm not going to sit here and tell anybody that they're wrong. But me personally, my biggest problem with organized religion is exactly that because there's so many people that think that their way is the only right way. And, and they're very, you know, just not open to not open-minded. They're not open to thinking about differences, you know, that what could be like, well, okay. So me personally, I'm like, well, maybe he does exist. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe it's not a he, maybe it's a, you know, three-legged fucking unicorn elephant that just happens to have magical powers and created everything. Who the hell knows? We certainly don't. And I guarantee you, we're never going to figure it out, at least in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, but I'm not about, I'm not about to judge anybody. And I feel like a lot of organized religion <clears throat> is people just getting together on one day a week to judge everybody, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that sounds awful to me. Yeah. For one, I'm missing kickoff. And two, what the <laughs> fuck do I care what you believe in? Again, it doesn't change my life one bit. Yeah. Well, I will find out what there is when I'm dead. Maybe I go somewhere. Maybe I'm just dead and I fall into a void of nothingness. And that's what I find is the biggest problem is that people can't accept that. They can't accept the fact that maybe nothing happens. Maybe you're just gone. Mm-hmm. And they, they have to have that, that feeling, the illusion of security, just like everybody has now with the government. Like, oh... We want the government to take care of this and that. It's no, you're just, it's, it's an illusion of security that doesn't really help you. You're exactly right. Um, I mean, I, I think that the, you know, there's kind of this mass of people walking away from religion. And so I guess in that way, I'm kind of a conformist that I followed the same trend statistically of rest of society. But, um, you know, what you touch on with the government, I I think it's uh, a bit intentional that, Mm. If you have an allegiance to a higher power, um, you know, that's not good for business when it comes to the government trying to tell you that they're going to solve all your problems because you think that Christ will. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I think that there's, uh, there's definitely an incentive from the state to encourage people to walk away from that and then they can try and step in to fill that role. Yeah. Yeah. Look at, uh, you know, look at the government as your one and only true God. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of what they're all, pushing. All praise be to Biden. Yeah, yeah. Fuck that. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the funny thing, which I uh, I threw out, and it really kind of, like, tweaked the guy, but, uh, you know, I look at, you know, for better or worse, you know, it's it's like I've got this this computer lens that I kind of put on everything, mm. and uh, and so I see, I see religion. So separating religion from spirituality and putting the spirituality piece aside for a second uh, the religious part is really a, a technology for controlling and organizing large groups of people. Yeah. And, uh, and so it's like, if you look at that, that system as a whole, 
you know, there's, there's penalties for walking away in, mm. in terms of, you know, you're going to lose part of your cultural connections, which is a form of security. You know, that, that's how humans have survived forever is that we form tight connections yeah. based on shared ideals and trust. And, uh, and then there's the, this, you know, very negative opinion that you're going to go to hell if you don't believe the correct things, which is like the worst possible scenario. Uh, which to me is just fear mongering. It seems like fear mongering. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, the, the last thing is that it's a, it really, it tries to tell you how you're going to live your life as a show of conformity to all the people around you, mm. you know? And so it's like, and so it's, it's, it's this way to control and set up a society, which, you know, in fact, actually creates pretty stable, happy societies, you know, so I, I'm not like super negative against it, but it's, a it, it certainly is a, is a method to organize people and tell them what the fuck to do. Yeah. Well, and I've, uh, I haven't read the Bible cover to cover, you know, I haven't been through the entire thing, but as far as the stuff that I pay most attention to would be like the golden rules, you know, the 10 commandments, things like that. I can understand don't fuck your neighbor's wife. I can understand don't murder, don't hurt people, stuff like that. Cause it makes sense. You know, why would you do that? Treat people the way you want to be treated. And I, I truly try to live that way. You know, I'm, I'm not going to do people wrong. Because for one, it's just not good. It, it doesn't breed a good lifestyle, not only for myself, but for anybody else that I happen to fuck over. You know, why would you do that? So I'm just going to treat people the way I would want to be treated. And so far, it seems to be working out. Yeah. Like you said, there's the difference between spirituality and religion. And, and I agree with that. It's, I think there definitely is a difference between being spiritual and you know, that every Sunday, everyone getting together to compare clothing. It's, there is a huge difference there. You know, why, why do you, why do you have to, why do you feel the need to just congregate, you know, every week when, I mean, at the, at the base level, if God is everywhere and he knows what you're doing at all times and he's always listening, well, then he knows where you are, whether you're at church or not. Yeah. You know, just well, be a good person. Yeah, you're, you're totally right. Um, I mean, honestly, what you what you touched on might be the the most important aspect of church that people are missing, mm. and that's you know taking a dedicated hour a week to sit and consider your life and your position in the world. Which that necessarily in and of itself isn't a bad thing. Oh, it's a great thing. I, yeah. I think it's a I think it contributes a lot to anxiety. Like not having it contributes a lot to anxiety. Yeah, um, and know, and I would put that. I would put that a degree towards meditation. Absolutely. In, in a sense. Absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah. Which is definitely good for anybody. But most people don't. And and I find it hard too. I mean, the only time yeah. when I can really meditate is, uh, is showers, you know, I, oh, yeah. that, that's an easy time when you're separated from everyone to kind of, you know, be quiet and with your thoughts. Yeah. It's interesting. I've never thought of that. Like my, my usual time where I think the most and just chill when I'm taking a shit. Yeah. <laughs> but you're on it's your me. phone then, right? <laughs> well, uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, yes, these days, half the time I'm, I'm reading, you know, articles in my Google feed, but I try to remember like, Hey, let's just, let's just have a chat with my own brain for a bit. <laughs> How are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> but the shower, I mean, that's a good one. You're already, you're already in an environment. It's warm and cozy, but you can just close your eyes and chill and just listen to the water and just be with your own thoughts. 
Yeah. You know, I mean, you got to be intentional to, to make it work, but I mean, that's part of meditation anyways, being intentional and being in that space of your own mind at that time. And that's what opens the doors. Exactly right. Um, you know, turn the lights off. Oh yeah. Shower. Yeah. You know, that's, that's nice. I mean, it really blocks out that visual, visual reference and, and forces you to go inside. Yeah. That's a good one. Mm -hmm. Dark, <clears throat> dark, wet cave. <laughs> Uh, it's gonna get dirty. I prefer it better if my wife's in there with me, though. Yeah, I agree. It's <laughs> nice to have a buddy. I get lonely. Uh, growing up, my mom always had this uh, thing hanging on the living room wall that she made in college, and it was a, um, it was like a clay cast deal that she drew, and it was just a shower curtain with two people's two sets of feet showing at the bottom, and it said "conserve water, shower with a friend." Yeah, I love it. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> Which way were the feet pointing? That matters. It's <laughs> oh, yeah. Towards each other. <laughs> One was hairier than the other. Uh, it's beautiful. <laughs> beautiful. <sighs> yeah. And I have I have tons of just thoughts. So yeah, I mean throw some stuff out. I've I've been kind of driving this stuff. Would let's oh, that's fine. switch yeah. it up. I mean that's that's yeah. what we're here for. This is uh so I have all these notes, right? And so talking about, you know, doing all my thinking on the shitter, this is kind of really where these come from, actually, is going through my news feeds and reading stuff. And then I think to myself, like, man, that's that's interesting. I wonder what, you know, somebody else would think about this. Hmm. Because I'm already stuck in my own mental process thinking about it. But it's like, well, am I wrong? Oh, here's a good one that I've actually been interested about. Um, student loan forgiveness. Godsend or grand mistake? Oh, boy. Um Oh, well, to set that aside, I think that the, the first thing that needs to happen with that problem as a whole is the public money needs to be removed from the system. Mm. So if I'm talking about like government funding, yeah, government, the, the student loan debts, the student loans in the first place should not come from public funds. They should come from private funds. And, and the yeah. reason is that, you know, it, it is an investment that somebody is putting into you that you are going to pay back to them. So you are acting like a piece of property to them effectively that they are going to invest in and they want to return. Right. They're, it's basically Biden saying, we own you. Well, in, in when it's sense, public, it absolutely is. Yeah. yeah. Especially when you can't declare bankruptcy on it. Right. Which, yeah. Well, but, and, and it's the government. So if you don't pay it back, they can literally just go into your bank account and take what they want. Yeah, whatever they want. Yep. Mm -hmm. No questions. Yeah, it's it's a it's a there's a reason why a they just hired eighty one thousand IRS agents. Oh, for sure, <laughs> for sure. Because now you know now they can just send you a bill. Hey, yeah. three hundred dollars. Like, well, I have to go fight this freaking thing now. You know, so I have to pay my account and I have to do this. That it's like you run the numbers. Crap, that's going to cost me more. I'll just send them the check and be done with it. Mm -hmm. They can just start doing this. Um, so no, I, I look at I look at the entire student loan system as just a slaving system. Um, you know, as far as the uh, student loan forgiveness thing, it, oh, gosh, I don't know. I mean, is it, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'd be okay. I, I'm less okay sending our money over to Ukraine to murder people over there <laughs> to the Middle East than to pay this off. So it's like of the two, that's where I stand there. And if we're going to forgive it, then we should forgive it and then end the program. Yeah. And then yeah. I would be okay with it. But Instead of just running it forever. And continue it. Yeah. Well, Dude, I'm going back to college so I can get free money. Then. Right? Yeah. Uh, cancel a few now, help some people out, but it doesn't need to run forever. Yeah. And, and I, I think one of my biggest problems with it is the government, they're always just 
taking our money and doing whatever the hell they want with it. Yeah. It, it doesn't, I mean, everybody says every vote counts, right? So we're voting for the people that we are, well, hoping at least are going to do what's best for us. And it seems more and more, if not completely so, they forget that they work for us. That's why we elected them. You know, but they're kind of just doing whatever the fuck they want. They're not asking questions. So that's my biggest problem with it is, well, I didn't vote for that. I mean, I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad thing, but if you're just going to draw up legislation and bills to say, oh, we're going to hand out fuckloads of money that we took from you, you know, because you don't pay tax. They take tax. Yes. You know, the great Chris Rock coined that. Yes. <laughs> it's true. Try not paying it. They'll put you in a metal box. Yeah. Forever. Yeah. The government's going to get their money yes. out of your ass one way or another. Yeah, they're 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 a mob, you know. They're a strong arm mob. Yeah, you know, they they come That's to your great. your residence and say, "Hey, you know, I wouldn't want anything bad to happen. Wouldn't want anyone <laughs> to show up with guns." So Where's uh, the big? you got my money. <laughs> so, yeah, it's the the whole. So I'm actually pro government. You know, I hang out with a lot of people that oh, yeah. consider themselves anarchists, and I I, I would a hundred percent be an anarchist if I didn't if I didn't have the belief based on empirical evidence, in my opinion that a, a, a monopoly on violence will always exist in a large group of people. Oh, yeah. Always. For sure. And so since I do believe that that's a fundamental fact of human nature, then I would like to choose and limit how that group that has a monopoly on violence is going to behave. Yes. And that's government. Now, the trouble with government is that their entire incentive model is to increase power. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the fundamental issue. And so I, I don't actually have a great answer, but it is something that I've started to think about recently of, you know, what, what small tweak could we put onto the government to have an incentive to be literally as small as possible unto the breaking point that they can no longer complete their minimum function that we need from them. Mm. And if we could figure out that small tweak, then a lot of these problems would kind of deal with themselves. Yeah, just sort of fizzle out. Or, or handle themselves in some way or another. I mean, somebody's going to figure out a solution to the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the problem is not government fundamentally. It's too much government. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I You know, I wouldn't want anybody to think that I'm just, oh, fuck the government, because I'm not. It exists for a reason, and it, it was started for a reason. I mean, you know, you look at the Constitution, and you look at the stuff that they came up with. I mean, they, they were not dumb people by any means. You know, they were, they were actually very smart. And mm-hmm. you think about the time difference. Okay, this is colonial era. You know, we didn't have the same stuff back then as we have now. You know, how could they ever know? Well, they're not dumb. They knew. Things are always going to change. Things are going to get better. There's going to be new advancements and everything. I mean, putting all that aside, they, they knew what they were doing. And, and I w- would guarantee that they had the exact same thought. There has to be some kind of control in place to keep the inevitable horror of human beings from unleashing on each other mm-hmm. but like you said how, how much how far how far does that need to go you know i mean really they were there to protect us from outside threats i i would say mm-hmm. and um to control trade to make sure that there was fair trade between us and back to england and everybody else i mean that was essentially i think the main driving force not just separating us from them and and creating our own country but to have those sorts of controls yeah yeah i I think you're right um and you know people say like like, like you just said uh you know things have changed right they're colonial well what's really changed 
you know, they could still kill people at a long distance with guns, weapons. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they still wanted to fuck their wives. They still ate meat. They grew crops. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, the, the thing that has changed is there's more information. Mm. So hopefully people would be better educated. Uh, there's a uh, easier travel now. Yeah. You, you know, would think so, be, but it's, it's weird that we walk around all day, every day with, I mean, the encyclopedia of the world on a screen in our pocket, but it seems like there's so many fucking stupid people on the planet. Uh, well, yeah. Bias, you know, it's that, you know, the human brain is still a, 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 a information chunking system primarily. And so yeah. bias has a very effective, useful role in that. But, uh, you know, unchecked, it's, it's, it's terrible. It destroys societies. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, if anything, I would say that the, you know, as far as the government goes, they, they have, they were more required than, than they are now. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of the information trade and things like that can now be handled entirely without any authority at all. Mm. Money no longer needs a central authority at all. People could choose their own money, and yeah. it would work better. It would be impossible to print more. All these we types all just of... switch to Bitcoin. Sure, exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, there's so if anything, the role of government is shrinking, and I think that's part of the reason that they're kind of freaking out. Is I think they, I think they're, you know, church is like the first one on the chopping block, mm. and again, not spirituality, but church. And I think government is immediately right behind it because government is really just an improvement on or an iteration, I'll say, on the technology of church for controlling people, and that is less important than it used to be. Well, and, and in regards to church, in my opinion, I think they look at, you know, church-going people, conservative types, you know, as, you know, comp the, the ones that are standing up against them, that are pushing back against their power. And, and I think that's absolutely what they're looking at. So I think the attack on church, not necessarily spirituality, is trying to break up that opposing power. Mm. You know, the people that are like, no, we don't, like you said, we don't need government to have their hands in everything that we do every day. So they're going to look at that and they're going to say, okay, we need to, we need to do something. We need to kick those guys out of here. <laughs> we need to stop that right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that that's a, that's another big reason why the, the drug wars, is, is such a big deal, especially on the types of drugs that cause you to reanalyze your position in life. Yeah. Um, you know, mushrooms and weed specifically, you know, they, Oh yeah. You know, it's, I don't think anyone's like, dude, we need, we need more crack, you know, like, <laughs> like whether or not that's a, I'm sure there's somebody, there's somebody, <laughs> whether or not that's like a mental health issue or criminal issue. I think it very clearly falls in the mental health side. Yeah. Not the criminality side. But for the other ones that, that do not harm people that are thousands of times safer than alcohol, um, it 100% is that it, it, it breaks, it, it has the unfortunate effect for governments of breaking people out of their normal way of thinking. And they usually realize that they've kind of been had mm. when they start going down that path. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I, I don't know if necessarily all drugs should be legal. I mean, to me, Anything that grows from the ground and is unprocessed, I mean, can't be that bad for you. You know, I mean, they, they used, uh, you know, poppy milk, I mean, in, in medieval times for everything, mm -hmm. painkillers and, you know, anti-nausea and stuff like that, you know, and that was just squeezing the milk directly out of the flower. 
and, and it worked wonders. But of course now it's been completely processed and everything else and it's heroin and it's fucking awful. <clears throat> Weed. If I, if I had a job that didn't give a shit or, I mean, I guess if I lived in Washington, maybe, mm. you know, I, I still to this day get randoms every once in a while. And, you know, I have a family to support. And so if I can't, I can't afford to just do whatever the hell I want. But if I could, yeah, I would totally be smoking weed. I would be, you know, microdosing, especially, you know, I've, I've heard the benefits of it. Just opening those pathways and those, and those doors to the mind and, and help you think clearer and freer. I mean, how does that not sound fucking awesome? <laughs> yeah. And beneficial for you. Yeah. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And I, it's, I, it, so again, pretty hardcore libertarian. I think all of it should be legal, but that man, I, again, I don't think there's anyone that's like, dude, you should be able to just buy some heroin out of a vending machine. You know, yeah. it's legal versus accessibility are two very mm. different things. Yes. And, uh, and so from the accessibility perspective, you know, the ones that are, are clearly addictive and have, you know, very harmful side effects due to abuse, uh, you know, those still need to be regulated and controlled, you know, similar to, alcohol but probably more so you know it's like yeah uh, i think switzerland is the one that they had real bad heroin issues and so they uh against the populace um this is like one time when i i also would have been uh against this program but it turned out to work incredibly well uh they they built facilities specifically for people to go do heroin hmm. and so when you show up you can show up you can do as much as you want kill yourself if you want whatever you know but while you're there they're like hey we've got you know we got meetings going all the time. You know, if you want a job, we can help you with that. And <laughs> it's a rehabilitation system tacked on to a free, safe heroin usage thing. And it sounds crazy, but what they found yeah. is that it actually drastically reduced the rate of deaths and rape and murder and all this. And that the people that are just, you know, very sad, but are just hooked on this stuff. Yeah, I mean, they keep going and using, but at least they have an outlet to get community help and support. Mm. And a lot of them ended up transitioning there. And so the problem overall was drastically reduced. Hmm. Yeah, it makes me think of like uh, um, old uh, Chinatown opium dens, but, yeah. on, but on steroids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe they're cool to hang out with. I, <laughs> I certainly have no interest to figure it out. Uh, that stuff scares me, man. It might be awesome, you know? Maybe, yeah, like but the, maybe that's the problem. Maybe it's so fucking awesome that it's better than being alive, and that's why people just fall into it so hard. Totally. I mean, that's why I never would touch any of that crap. None yeah. of it. It's just like, I don't want to know. Yeah. I don't want to know. Yeah, I don't consider myself to have a real addictive personality. I mean, everybody has an addiction to something. It, we think of it as in terms of like alcohol and drugs and all that stuff, but really, it's anything. Whatever it is that gives you that dope hit, that dopamine hit, that you just you're like oh my god that's awesome i have to whether it's video games uh ride motorcycles totally yeah. any, anything that gives you that that you get addicted to well that's your addiction for for a lot of people it's alcohol and drugs but that's not the only thing porn mm. porn's porn. a huge one porn's the worst yeah i mean not the worst in, but it's a it's highly effective i guess i'll say because it, it hits so many chemical receptors of your brain oh yeah it's yeah. Well, I'm not against porn by any means. I love porn. But, <laughs> I mean, everything in small doses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <that's... laughs> you got to you got to learn how to manage yourself. <laughs> it's hard, man. So like like that's one of those things I can't 
And so, you know, my wife and I, you know, like work together on it. She's helped support me. And so I just have to stay completely away from it. Yeah. Because I'm someone who can't. It just, yeah. The way, the way that it hits, it's just, it's, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I, I used to have quite a problem with it too at one point. I mean, you know, but I've gotten to a point where, I mean, it's nice every once in a while, but you don't have to have it all the time. I mean, it's kind of the same reason. I, I'm a gamer. Like, honestly, if I had to be honest about what my addiction is, it would be gaming. Mm. And that's why at one point, um, you know, I, I had a badass computer, you know, at the time it was badass. It'd probably be a piece of shit now, but I had to literally just sell it and get rid of it because it was just, it sucked up so much time. I'd be on it all the time. And, and even now I have to limit myself. Like the way I do it basically is hardware. If I go spend a shit ton of money on this badass computer, because I can do a lot of things with it, I can do my video editing, I can do audio, I can do all these other cool things that are really productive. But I know, I know if I had a computer that was capable of running Cyberpunk 2077, oh my God, I'd be on it all day, every day. <laughs> yeah. <it's, I laughs> so so that's kind of how I do it is just, okay, I'm going to get hardware that is going to work, but I'm not going to go crazy. And so every time I find myself on Amazon or whatever, looking at computer parts, I'm just like, do I really need to spend the money on that? No, I fucking don't. Walk away. Stop it. That's smart, man. I, uh, yeah, it's one of my sayings is that, you know, a good diet starts and ends at the grocery store. Yeah. And it's just what you're doing, right? You know, don't, don't buy junk food to tempt yourself all week if you want to have a good diet. Yep. Buy good stuff and then only have good stuff there. And then it's a pain in the ass to go get the bad stuff so it doesn't happen as often. Yep. Uh, yep. You know, the other thing that's helped a lot with what you're talking about is that uh, we, man, really unknowingly until we realize it, but we, we, as humans, when we want to better ourselves, we'll be laying in bed or whatever. We're feeling guilty or whatever. We're feeling inspired. Like, man, tomorrow I'm going to go do this and I'm going to do this. And you, you make all these promises for this person that it's not you right now. It's this other person tomorrow. Right. And that's a, it's bad in two ways. One is that you usually break them. So then your, your subconscious gets used to you lying to it. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other one is that you can only make today's decision. You can only make now's decision now. You can't make tomorrow's decision now. And so, you know, everyone's like, I want to go be this person. They're always looking forward. Well, you have to flip that around and say, what type of daily decisions would that person that I want to be, what would those... What, what are those decisions? Figure that out. And then when the time comes, it's a simple question of like, am I going to be that person? Because if I am, I have to go to the gym right now. Hmm. I have to not play this game. I have to do, you know, whatever it is. Right. And, you know, then it just comes to, you know, how stubborn are you? Are you so stubborn that you're like, fuck yeah, I am that other person. So I'm going to make this decision now because I, I know that when I look back, I will have become that person. Hmm. And, and that, you know, just that little phrase, it, it helps me a lot. That's an interesting take, stubbornness, because I'm kind of the opposite. I'm so stubborn that even to myself, it's like, no, you're not doing that. It's, well. it's, it's hard for me to create new habits, even if they're good habits. I, I fall so easily back into, you know, the old stuff that I know and I'm used to because I, I'm so, you know, just looking for comfort all the time. Mm. I'm definitely fall into that category of, well, like you said, when we started, you know, we are, our, our generation is probably the problem because we're too comfortable, Yeah. you know, and, and that's definitely where I'm at. And so I struggle quite a bit to push myself out of my comfort zone and, and to create better habits every day. And it's rough. It is rough. Um, yeah. 
may not to harp uh the book atomic oh. habits by uh, james clear i've heard about it it's got a, it's you know i'll sum the whole book up for you it's uh basically all good habits start with the trigger and so that goes mm. back to the grocery store thing i was saying that you know if you have good healthy food around for example mm -hmm. that when you see the banana that's the trigger and you have a tendency to grab it yeah um you know put water next to you when you work mm. instead of like a soda or something you know and uh yeah the same thing with like working out you know have have your shoes visible have you know whatever it is put triggers in your life which cause you to remember the thing that you want to be doing and it's it's not the whole battle but it definitely yeah. is a big part of it it definitely helps to have those <clears throat> in front of you all the time where you're like, oh yeah, shit, I do need to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, let's see. How about, how about why are there more nice guys in the world today than ever before? Or at least that's how it feels. Mm. It probably just goes back to comfort. Yeah. Um, There's a few that fall on those lines. Effects of feminism and radical feminism on the modern male psyche and behavioral patterns. Uh, no, it's the nice guys is good. Um, I'm just thinking because there's, I think it's a whole, I think that, that, so being a man is kind of like an F you to everyone else to do what you think is going to serve the people that you care about best. And so mm -hmm. you are like, you know, the top person in that list. So it's self-serving as well, um, which is good. You know, you, you need to, you need to take care of yourself. And so, you know, don't feel bad about that, but it's a, uh, yeah, you know, like the like it used to be, I think, at least it was glamorized that you know standing up for what you believe in was kind of this honorable duty. Mm, yeah, and uh, it's definitely not that case now. You know, the the thing that's glamorized in pop culture is conformity. Yeah, falling into everybody else, and you know, could, because everybody wants to be accepted and be a part of something and feel important. Yeah, and and they think that. <clears throat> by joining the crowd that that's going to give them that yeah and the, the crowd is obsessed with a uh, victimhood yeah you know it's a sure. it's who who's the biggest victim who has the biggest claim to victimhood which is you yeah. know again it, it's removing power from the individual mm. you know if you're a victim by definition it means that you have an inability to solve your own problem yeah you know and so uh and so I think there's a lot of that stuff. I think that the guys in general are not trained at a young age uh, to, you know, kind of purposely be a bit cantankerous. Um, you know, it's it's like what we talked about in men's group. You know, if uh, there's there's always this tendency, like if you know you invite me to go do something, and I do want to do it. You know, I I like it. It's fun. This that, but I I don't want to go or whatever it is there's always this tendency to be like, Oh, I'd love to go, but I got this other thing going on. And, you know, it's, it's you being like, Hey, like I don't have the power to make this decision because right. the decision has already been made for me. And then that kind of like removes any kind of guilt off of you that you're somehow letting someone down. And, uh, you know, you, you got to like train that kind of behavior out. That's a conscious effort that, Hey, you know, I don't want to go, you know, thanks. I appreciate it. I still value you, but I don't want to go. Yeah. Learning how to just say no. I mean, it's part of being genuine. It's part of being genuine and true, not only to yourself, but to everybody else. Just say, yeah, I'm not up for it. I'm going to stay home instead of going because you feel like you have to. Yep. It's a big part of leadership. It is. It's a huge part of leadership. And I just, you know, I, I think it's probably, I don't think there's any big grand cabal that's causing this. I think it's more that a really, really comfortable society 
that lives constantly in comfort is concerned about upsetting anyone else's comfort. Yeah. Whereas, you know, if you're struggling, like, you know, you're really busting your ass, you've got a difficult job, you know, you're, you're under the earth drilling for coal or something, you know, it's, it's okay if you hurt someone's feelings, right? Like <laughs> you, like you have a difficult, hard life. Yeah. And, and so I, I just, I think that our scale on how like, like, discomfort and perceived discomfort that we do unto others is all out of whack. And I think that, and, and the last thing is that, uh, you know, the Christian church is notorious for turning out nice guys. I mean, that's mm. one of the things I hate about religion that looks at it from perspective of a, um, interventionist God. Yeah. That if you live with a worldview that you have an interventionist God, then that means that you should pray for your problems to be solved, that you should, question why this is being done to you that mm. and you know the reality is is that the world is this this mechanical harsh thing it doesn't give a shit either way and you know most people do things out of complete indifference or just unknowing to you it's not malice like like it's so much less than malice they just you're not even on their radar you don't matter and there's not some grand scheme that you're trying to fulfill this like wonderful fate thing like yeah you've got opportunities before before you and you're either gonna man up and go do it or you're not mm. And, uh, and so I just, I don't know, I just think people's worldview and stuff is just really screwed up in general. And from that, there's just a whole bunch of nice guys that have been born. For sure. Yeah. I, I, I've never understood, I've never understood prayer, honestly, to begin with. And, and the reason why is because they, you know, I mean, from what I've seen, what I've read, what I've heard from people is, you know, I've... I have family that have been very involved in the church and stuff before. And, and I've, you know, I've heard that saying, that, Oh, you know, uh, God will provide, God will take care of us. You know, he'll make, he'll make it happen. stuff. I'm not worried about this and that, blah, 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 because God will provide. Okay. So, so you believe that there is a master plan, something in place that God has a plan for each and every one of us. Right. Well, then what the fuck is the point of prayer? George Carlin has a great bit about <laughs> about what is the point in having a master plan if some dumb fuck with a two dollar prayer book can come along and fuck up your plan. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah why? No, no answer. That's good. Yeah. So yeah. what's the point in praying if he's going to do whatever the hell he wants to do and he has a plan for you? So why not just ride it, just go along and see what happens? You know, I I don't. And for my, for my work, I mean, part of what I do is planning. I am, I'm literally a planning supervisor. It's what I do. So I'm always the one who has to come up with, okay, we have to do this tomorrow and we need to get these materials coming in because we have to start yada, yada, all that stuff. So that's what I do on a daily basis. So it's like the guy who works on cars for a living. A lot of them, unless they're total gearheads, they don't want to fucking work on cars when they get home. It's the last thing they think about because they do it all day, every day. And it's the same with anything else. So for me, even though my wife hates it because she's more of a, you know, needs to have a plan, you know, otherwise she kind of goes a little apy. It's hard because I come home <clears throat> and I'm always living by the seat of my pants. Like tomorrow, if the sun's up, I'm going to go ride and I'm not going to plan it. I'm just going to jump on the bike and go wherever the hell the front wheel points me. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Yeah. You got to have that balance. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I like the ride myself when it comes to life. You know, I mean, important things, you know, you have to plan for your future. Obviously, you have to think about how am I going to retire? How am I going to be able to support myself someday when I either don't want to or I can't work? You know, how am I going to support my family later on in, in the ways that they need to be supported at that time? So, 
yeah, there are things that you do have to plan, but outside of the stuff that's absolute, I just love to enjoy the ride. Yeah. I don't, I don't like knowing what's coming next. It bugs the shit out of me having to try and think about it. It's a very stoic way to, to live. I mean, I applaud you for it. Uh, I, yeah, you know, you just, you gotta, you definitely have reached a point where you know that whatever problem is going to come your way, you're going to deal with it. Yeah. And that, you know, you just, you always want to be open to these experiences. Just go do it and enjoy the, enjoy it all. Yeah. Right. Like I said, it drives my wife nuts because I'm always the one, you know, when something comes up, you know, uh, we missed a bill or something. I'm like, yeah, whatever. we'll fucking figure it out. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Well, what are you talking about? We'll figure it out. I'm like, yeah, I'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> And it right. usually works out or it doesn't. And I look like an asshole, but it's okay if it doesn't work out too. Yeah. You're not always going to win, right? Yeah. You got to learn matter. how to lose, which is definitely something that people have forgotten. <laughs> yeah. It's, I think that's part of, you know, the whole victimhood thing. People, people have forgotten how to lose. Losing sucks. It's painful, but it's, it is, it's going to happen. And you know, that's the, the only way to deal with losing effectively is, you know, obviously the learning thing, but that's really the, the cursory layer of it is that you have to, in order to be effective at anything, you have to be focused on doing the work and then leaving the outcome, you know, out, it's out of your control, right. whether you're going to be successful or you're going to fail, it's out of your control. And yeah. so you focus on doing the work as effectively as you can and enjoying the process of doing the work. And if you're doing those two things and then you're constantly readjusting to try and do the work better and you take, you know, the feedback loop of failure, success, and then just, you know, that's, that's all we really control. And so you just have to resign yourself to that or else you'll make yourself go crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And and that is what drives me crazy is just having to think about everything. Yeah. Uh, Why do men and women no longer seem to get along very well? Um, I think they probably get along as well as they've always have. I, you know, the one thing which I, I, it makes me a bit sad uh, that, you know, women, well, women are a pain in the ass from a man's perspective. (laughs) And, uh, but they, they always have been, and that's a big part of what makes them interesting. You know, women are a pain in the ass because if they weren't, then men would dominate over them more easily. Mm, you know, yeah. it's, it's almost impossible to dominate your wife unless you're a sick fuck that you know is violent towards her. Yeah. Um, so it, but what upsets me is that society is really using women as a pawn to create more division in the mm. society. Yeah. Well, and, and, and the, the whole us and them, and it's not just... It's not just what you see in the news every day where it's liberals versus, you know, conservatives. It's also, I mean, inciting race wars and inciting uh, gender wars. Yep. Yeah. And it's, it's all the, it's all the isms done for the right reasons. Hmm. You know, it's like, this is a, a woman ran company. So it gets, you know, it's, that's racism. That's sexism, you know, give it, it's, you know, affirmative action. That's all that stuff is bad for society. You know, that, that's the wrong way to go about dealing with the problem. And uh, and so it just, I don't know. You know, there's a lot of animosity, but it, it just goes back to the really simple fact of like, look, as a man, don't get caught up in that shit because, again, you can't control it. Right. You focus on doing what you need to do as a man and let all that other stuff fall where it's going to fall. Because in the end, you know, it pisses everyone off to hear, but it's like, you know, the men are higher performers in most things, if nothing else, because men are stupid enough to dedicate a larger percentage of their waking life to a task. Right. As a group. And we just do, you know, it's, it's, you know, 
any guy that's just working 40 hours and that's all he does, that's a part-time fucking job. <laughs> you know, it's work is 60 to 80 hours a week. And yeah. most women don't want to do that. And I honestly, that's, again, I look at it as a burden. You know, it's, I don't look at it as a badge of honor, but it's, a, it's an obsession that's built into us. And like you point out, we have people that are depending on us. So we have to deliver and come through. And sometimes yeah. it takes a lot more hours than the average person's going to put in. So, you know, just focus on your work. Don't get hung up on that stuff. A, a big part, though, is learning to embrace that. I mean, for me, you know, I've, I've been the nice guy. I've been the nice guy my whole life, you know, and, and it wasn't until just, I mean, in the last few years that I've learned, you know, as it's been pointed out to me, hey, guess what? Whether you like it or not, you were born a man, which comes with a few, you know, certain things that, what, like it or not, are your cross to bear. You know, if, if the Titanic's going down, my wife and my kids get to jump in the life raft while I stay behind and play the fiddle and die. That's right. I mean, that's all there is to it because that's the way things are. You know, it's up to me to do the hard tasks and to, to make the hard choices and they're not always going to be correct. I'm going to fail just as much as I succeed sometimes, if not more so, but out of that failure is if you're paying attention, that's how you learn how to be successful. So, you know, yeah, you can look at it as a burden and a lot of times it is, but if you're not paying attention and you're, you're constantly just saying, why me, poor me and playing the victim, which so many people are, then, I mean, that's all you're ever going to be. You're, you're never going to do anything worthy of anybody or anything. And, and it's just going to be a boring ass life where you're just the guy working 40 hours a week and that's all. Mm-hmm. It, you're a hundred percent right. And when I say burden, I mean, objectively, it would be better to be able to play as much as you wanted and work as much as you want and have yeah. no, no requirement to do anything other than whichever one you wanted like that. Yeah. And men as a whole don't have that. So it is a burden in that respect, but you're absolutely right. Given that that is our reality, the only proper way to do it is to take up your cross, train yourself to enjoy it and find, find the gratification of the job well done when you look back. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hate, mowing the lawn it drives me nuts it's something i've never liked so i force myself to do it every week but what i find every single time is once i get done and i look at how nice my yard looks because i i try never to do anything half-assed if i'm going to do it even if i love it or i hate it i'm going to do it right i don't know if that's just the perfectionist in me or the stubborn it could be no if i'm going to do it nobody else is going to fucking win that could be it i don't know but i find that every time when i'm done with it I feel awesome, mm-hmm. and, you know, and so even though as men, we have these, these things that are across to bear, if you embrace it and you just say, okay, I'm going to hit this shit and I'm going to get it done by the end of it, man, you feel awesome. You have a sense of accomplishment. You have a sense of purpose. And so even if, you know, even, even if you don't have any other sense of purpose in life, you know, I mean, some guys, their family is their whole purpose in life and that's, that's fine, I guess, you know, why not? but you got to do the things you got to do to hit the mark or at least try to every day. Yeah. And just pay attention, pay attention and take, take that satisfaction that you can derive out of doing the hard thing. Because if you just sit around playing video games all day, yeah. I mean, it's cool. I guess at the time you're getting that dope rush, which is eventually going to fade off and you're going to have to have more and more, Mm -hmm. but try going outside and mowing the lawn. Yeah. It feels way better. Yeah. And honestly, you can train yourself to enjoy it more than the video game while you're doing it. So 
what you can never do is train yourself to think you're going to enjoy it more. Yeah. That's almost impossible than the video game, for example. But mm -hmm. while you're doing it, you can definitely enjoy it more than the video game. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could make a game out of it anyway. If you got right. a really mushroomy yard, start mowing over them and just pretend you're Super Mario or something. <laughs> <laughs> the simulator is bitching. <laughs> just start making uh, noises while you're mowing. to the drug conversation from earlier so. uh yeah mow the lawn on shrooms <laughs> <laughs> i was just listened to uh, uh dan cummins 300th episode and uh he did it on acid oh my god yeah i've never it was it was interesting to say the least i'm sure his, yeah. so his 100th he did uh drunk and so he just got pissed drunk and he had to have his wife come in and help him finish it because he could hardly read by the end of it that was hilarious. And then his 200th episode he did, uh, it was called Shroomed and Doomed. And I don't remember the subject he did it on, but when they started kicking in, it was interesting because, you know, the screen's moving around. And he said that um, whatever whatever topic that he was reading about that sentence, like if it was something really dark, then all the text would change like to dark blood red. But if he was talking about something that was a little bit more positive, it would change to like a, like a bright blue color or stuff like that. So it was just interesting listening to him go through the entire trip. Wow. And then he did the acid one. And about, I think it was like 57 minutes in, is when the screen started melting. And he hung in there for like another 20 minutes. And then just he couldn't read anything. It was so bad. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know that I would ever do acid, but it it sounds fun to do at least once yeah i i wouldn't it's, <laughs> it's too processed the uh the thing that's crazy that i would be willing to try is to go down to south america and do an ayahuasca experience oh, yeah. with uh with some people yeah i've heard a lot about that too it yeah. sounds badass yeah it can be i mean god it sounds frightening it's like well yeah eight I, hours of being blasted onto another universe so yeah it, it's definitely something you would probably want to be in the right frame of mind before you start. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I've never done shrooms, but I've heard kind of the same thing. If you're in a bad mood when you start them, you're going to have a bad trip. So you need to be in a place of positivity and the right frame of mind and thinking before you start. It. I mean, I think it's like everything in our life. It's, uh, you know, we, it, it's like the stoic thing, right? Like, like the... If you could sum stoicism up in in one sentence, it's you know, choose your own, choose your reaction. Mm, yeah. Um, and, and it's this, it's like everything, right? It's like you get pissed off. It's like, are you really stopping to think about you know how your driving experience is right now when you're upset? You know, maybe you can't change it, but it's just you're obviously not having fun. You know, it's gonna bug you for the rest of the day, and it just, yeah, you know, I, I think that any any of those substances are going to accent, uh, accentuate those those feelings that you bring into it. And so For if sure. you're negative going into it, it's going to make it more negative. If you're positive going in, it'll make it more positive. It just, you know, that I think any of that stuff is more of a mirror than it, than it is like a, like it, it, it's a mirror of how you're feeling than it is something that actually creates the experience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of things that are like that. Yeah. Marriage. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, essentially, I mean, I mean, women are kind of a mirror as well. Yeah. You know, if, if you're a shitty person or a shitty man and you're treating a woman like shit, I mean, they, that's usually the reaction you get back. 
you know, they are a mirror of how you are. Yep. Yeah, they are. They are. I mean, gosh, my wife and I just got done with her being super pissed at me for the last three or four days. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, I, I definitely initiated the issue. Um, not, not intentional. I was trying to do something entirely different, but, mm. um, you know, it really pissed her off. And I, uh, I'm such a data driven person that it's like, if I have the numbers, I, I just get to a point where it's like, look, I don't feel one way or another about it, but, but these are facts. And unless right. you can bring up other facts, this is what I'm working off of. And, uh, and so, and so, you know, that just pisses them off, but it's, uh, yeah, like learning, you know, it's when the relationship is good, it definitely is a partnership. Yes. But when the relationship is bad, it is absolutely the man is guiding the tone and the experience that both of you are going to have. Yeah. And it, it's up to you to try and make it as positive looking back as you possibly can. Mm. Well, I mean, and, and as men, we sh should always be driving. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's kind of where, that's kind of just what you're supposed to be doing. I mean, that's how it is, unfortunately. That's, that's another part of the game. So, I mean, at, at the end of the day, I mean, women don't really want to make decisions about a whole lot of stuff. You know, they, they just don't. I mean, the, the, any woman will. You know, that's not to say that, that women don't care or that they're not capable, because they certainly are. But they don't want to do it. Mm. I mean, they really don't want to do it any more than we want to do it, but that's our lot in life. Yeah. Well, I think it affects us less in the sense that it's more common for a man to be like you were talking about where, you know, Look, I'm gonna I'm gonna get on the bike. I'm just gonna see where I go. Mm. So it's like, look, you know, my life. I'm gonna make these decisions. And we'll just see what happens. Yeah, and, and that's it. You know, it, you don't have to think about more than that. But I, I just I think they get more bent out of shape of doing all the what ifs. Yeah, yeah, they do like to play the what if game, which I, I mean, I've had trouble with myself. But that that's kind of why I've pushed myself into the mindset of not worrying so much about where things are gonna go. You know, I kind of embrace. I am. I embrace the fact that I don't like to plan, even though it can be a pain in the ass sometimes, um, because of the fact that it does push me to be, you know, more stoic and to look at things more objectively and not worry so much about the outcome, which is a huge part of the deal. Mm. Outcome independence, part of being genuine and just doing what you got to do is, okay, you're going to make all these decisions either because you have to or because you want to or whatever, and you're not always going to win. But if you constantly worry about the what if and whether or not you're going to fail, well, then you are going to fail. Mm. You're, you're never going to get anywhere if you don't try, right? So if you're always worrying about, well, I, I could fail or I could make a bad choice or I could make a bad decision, I guarantee you, motherfucker, you're going to make a lot of bad decisions in life. It's, it's part of being human. Oh, I've, tons of them. I've made my fair share, no doubt. <laughs> yeah. I mean, our life is quite literally a summation of all of our choices. Yeah. That's it. If you were to find it, that's it. Yeah. If you're not having bad experiences, how the hell are you learning anything? Well, and most of the times the bad, I mean, the bad ones are the ones that you talk about and laugh about years later. Yeah. So it's, it, it really is like, that's, that's almost the best part of life. It's just a real pain in the ass to go through. But, uh, I mean, gosh, you know, it's like, I mean, I, that's one of the things I love about the holidays. You know, my family and I, we get together and we all just kind of go around the table and just talk about the miserable fucking failures <laughs> that is our lives. And the ridiculous, like for instance, my dad, I mean, it's hard for me to even wrap my head around this, but they, uh, you know, very, very limited resources when they were young. And, and uh, they had two uh, Corvairs 
very unreliable cars. Yeah. Lord, Lord fucking knows why they had those cars. <laughs> but he said he would go out in the morning and whichever car started would get the muffler. <laughs> I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? And he said, well, there's only, I only had one muffler for it. And so he said, invariably, it was always the one that didn't have the muffler. And so he'd be like trying to get to work and crawl under and unbolt the muffler from the other car, bolt it onto the one he was going to drive to work and then drive to work today and then Jesus. probably do it again the next day. It's like, how could you deal with that? <laughs> yeah, the Corvair, isn't that the one that was dubbed unsafe at any speed? Yeah. It was like the first... Even parked, I think. Yeah, it was the <laughs> the first iteration of the independent suspension, and they just did a piss-poor fucking job on the design. Terrible. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> terrible. And and so it's just... But, like, that's an example. Like, I'm sure it was terrible to crawl under that stupid car every day. I don't know why he allowed himself to keep doing it, but it's like, looking back, it's it's a really funny story. Yeah. So... Well, and if you're in a situation where, I mean, it is what it is, you've already committed to buying these damn things, right? So maybe he couldn't afford to get something else. Right. And so he was kind of trapped into that entire, you know, shitty, but now looking back on it, funny situation of having to swap mufflers every day. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That would drive me insane, though. Oh, I I would not stand for it. I'd ride a bike. Yeah. Um, Can we pause for a, a pee break? Yeah, no problem. We can pause anytime. Those are always like the best one ones. One serious conversation and then a dick joke, and then it just kind of devolves from there. It's <laughs> <laughs> usually how the, the game day discussions go. The dick joke? Or? Well, it might start with a dick joke or your mom, something. <laughs> yeah. It's a meme. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about some weird shit, man. Some weird shit? Yeah, let's get way out there. Yeah, what do you got? Oh, gosh. I was... Why don't you lead it off? I because uh, I always know what topics I gravitate t- towards. So weird shit. Yeah, what's what's some whack stuff? Um, get supernatural, get conspiracy theory. Ooh, let's get out there. Ooh, how about uh, so? Have you seen uh, what is it? I, I saw an article about these uh, lab-grown mini brains mm. that they they hooked up and they taught. Well, they learned themselves within five minutes how to play pong. So they had these two brains in petri dishes, and according to what they say, they're not like self-aware, you know, they're they're not uh, sentient. Mm. But you're talking about basically two little organic microcomputers that they just jacked in with a bunch of wires and hooked them up to a game of pong, and they're playing with each other. I, I love it. So this <sighs> stuff like that is probably the only future that doesn't end in total and utter catastrophe for humans and what <laughs> i mean by that is like like figuring out how to synthesize what the brain is doing and integrating that with technology i think is our only path forward mm. besides complete and utter annihilation so and why i think that is a <clears throat> so something that's interesting like we are effectively living through some kind of decline perhaps the fall of the united states as we know it right now mm. most people think that yeah. And it's not something that just happened on such and such day. It's been going on for 20, 30 years at least, maybe 40 years if you, you know, however you want to measure it. And it will continue for that amount of time, right? It's this like slow progression. So you're, talk, can, you're talking about the fall of the United States. Just, just as an example, right? It's, it's like it's something that's happening as a slow progression. Yeah. So with, with using that as an analog, when the book is written about how AI came, you know, a, a true 
singularity intelligence showed up when it when it you know came into being we are already past the starting point i'm mm. certain of it like we are already living in the age of the giant general intelligence that everyone's frightened of like it's it's already here oh yeah it's just in an early phase yeah like terminators yes and so where you're talking about these brains you know it's the the only so the thing which i'm i'm certain of but it's you know it's a very contentious point is that you know my my strong opinion is that uh you know and or gates and if statements inside of computers will never be conscious they will never have an experience the way that we have an experience and it feels like something yeah but can we get to a manufacturing point to where we could start you know growing organic based brains that are heavily integrated into digital interfaces absolutely mm. and would those be able to be conscious i think the answer is surely yes and yeah. Doing that may be the only path we have to figure out what consciousness is, how to tap into it, and you know how to how to basically keep this thing going. Because what I what I think happen what what I think is a far more likely scenario than a nuclear holocaust that ends everything or a you know Terminator kind of AI, it's it's a much more pleasant AI. It's a it's a non playable character. It's, it's an artificial intelligence which is so good at making you think that it's conscious that you actually believe it is and that it tricks you into murdering yourself to download what a simulation of what you would do into a giant computer virtual reality and then for mm. all of eternity running a simulation of what you might have thought had you been in that place which plays into a lot of like um the chase of immortality absolutely and I think that that will be the big draw that would cause people to be like, yes, I will end my biological life to continue a virtual one, yeah. even though there is no experiential part of the virtual one. Yeah, and, I, and I'm kind of torn on that one because it sounds awesome, right? Especially if you get jacked into this, you know, this server where I mean anything's possible, right? You, you look at... Um, you know, people describe heaven as, well, I mean, you, you know, you can do whatever you want. Everything is available to you. You don't have to worry about death, disease, uh, hunger, or anything else, you know, and you just, you're wrapped in this blanket of God and all that stuff, you know, putting it towards religion. But I mean, I mean, if the same is true about being immortal inside a machine, I mean, yeah, it sounds badass, but I think about it and I'm like, man, you know what? I don't know that I could do that because I love being alive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> being being in the real world and experiencing things really as they are the the not being able to just jump in the air and fly or burn shit down with laser eyes and stuff like that <laughs> you know the sitting back and saying man i wish i could do that to me is almost better than actually just being able to do whatever you want yeah i mean in a way yeah it, it's hard to say because we just we can't fathom what it would really be like to to truly not be connected, know, know about the physical, like, like something that's crazy to think about, you know, just a few hundred years ago, dudes used to fucking cut trees down, carve them out in the shape of a ship, mm. get a canvas sail and cruise onto the ocean and, you know, a couple thousand miles across open water yeah. ocean and those things. That is so outside of anything I can wrap my head around as a 2022 human being, like it, it almost doesn't seem like it actually happened. Like I can imagine what it would be like, but I can't possibly fathom taking that chance and going and doing it. Yeah. And so will they look back at us of 
driving cars around where people die all the time, being exposed to sickness, all this sort of stuff. It's just like, that is just so crazy. Like, like who would possibly do that? You just jack yourself in and then you live your life and you can do whatever you want. And it's way, way cooler. Yeah. I don't know, man. I think that's the future. Cause I, it's, I, I, I think it is like better or worse. I think that that's what the future will be like. So what about Neuralink? Inevitable. Yeah. Yeah. Whether well, I, yeah. Inevitable for sure. I mean, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if somebody like Musk is putting their brain power towards it, I mean, it's just like the guy who created the ship, right? Ingenuity and persistence yeah. and the means by which to just figure it out and, and do it. You know, that guy at some point had to say, I want to see what's out there or, you know, I'm here on this Island, but what's on that Island? Are, are there more pigs over there for me to kill? Whatever. How the hell am I going to get over there? Well, I could swim but it's cold as shit. I don't want to do that. Would be easier. Well, I could spend a lot of effort into cutting down this tree and make yeah. something out of it. I mean, it, it like makes me chuckle to think, you know, you fast forward 10,000 years and, you know, maybe we do figure out what, you know, if there's some kind of quantum entanglement sort of chemical interaction that causes consciousness to arise, whatever it is, let's, let's say we figure it out, we refine it, we perfect it. And we get to the point to where it's basically just all silicone, mm. you know, maybe with like a few other kinds of chemicals that you need to get these little conscious receptors in there. But basically speaking, it's just all computers. And and we get to a point to where, you know, our history of how those computers came to be is kind of lost. Mm-hmm. And they just they're like they're kind of there and they're you know, they're sitting around, they're arguing with each other and they're like, <laughs> man. No, it's like, you know, silicon formed at the bottom of the ocean and organized itself into basic and or gates, which got more and more effective. And, the, you know, and they were, were like trying to tell this evolutionary story, like missing the whole other piece that would be this biological component. And it, it's like, that's a very real possibility that you could, you could have some kind of like, that you'd have history that goes on for so long that it basically goes into myth and that you lose track of how you actually got to a place and that you're looking at the position you're at with the complete impossibility of getting directly there and not knowing what the link was. Hmm. Are, are you, are you thinking more towards like the theory of creation? Uh, I mean, it could certainly be, you know, there's a, like how we got here. Yeah. I mean, the story of creation is not fantastic up until the cell is formed, hmm. you know, replicating RNA strands inside of underwater jets and, and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, okay, it's it's possible, but I don't know. It it feels like there's gaps in there, and uh, you know, it feels like there's gaps in between the uh, the single cell to the big multi cell things that you know are forming hearts and lungs and all. There's I don't know. I mean, I've read the papers, I've listened to it, but it just it feels like there's some fudging going on <laughs> in different spots in there. Not the the complete truth, or uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, like, look, maybe, maybe it is all truly randomness and stuff, but it just, you know, randomness is a pretty big number when you're looking at all the universe and there's only been about 13 and a half billion years that we know of. It just, just doesn't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's like there's something else there. <clears throat> well, it, so I, I have a question. What do you think about aliens? Yes or no? A hundred percent. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, do, have they visited us here? So what I find more... I think yes. Sure. I'm open to it. What I find more likely... Like, like if I had to say, you know, certainly if we've been visited by aliens, I would say it's, it's more likely that our human-based societies have gotten to a point that was way more advanced than we realized, hmm. and they left, 
Yeah. And then everything collapsed and we lost all that information in history. And then those beings are coming back. And so they're effectively us from the past. Yeah. That's well, more likely in my opinion. And advanced to, if you look at it in the grand scheme of things and you think about it, advanced could be very subjective because they've already found, you know, and proven that the, the ancient Egyptians, like they had batteries, you know, mm -hmm. they, they knew what electricity was, or, or at least they had a concept of it. So advanced to them could be the same as we have now, just different. It's, it's not the same thing. Maybe they had cell phones, but instead of a piece of plastic and glass with circuitry, they figured out how to make a display out of a, a rock and a sheet of lightning glass or something. Sure. Maybe yeah, they had maybe different. they had the same shit. It just wasn't what we have. Yeah. And at some point they got taken out by who knows what. Or or they voted for Biden and everything fell apart. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's definitely looking like a trajectory. Right. But no, it you know, the aliens thing, it's like are is there intelligent life out there? I I just find it impossible mm. that I mean, there's two ways to look at it. One, you're like the full creationism story, and in which case you're like, okay, well, I guess one could be created. It's possible. Mm. It seems pretty far-fetched. Two, you go with the evolution story, and then you're just raw numbers. Like, if that's the true story, just raw numbers, there's got to be others out there. Um, you know, the Fermi paradox, like, where where are they? Right? Like, why don't we see them and hear them? Yeah. Well, the universe is fucking big. Yeah, and, it's extremely uh, big. <laughs> when they, And they say that it grows, what, by a... Uh... It's like 4 billion miles, I guess, in our terms of distance per day or something like that. So, I mean, it's constantly expanding. And, and I've, I've read somewhere where they said uh, people that are way smarter than me, they're talking about that it's slowing down, hmm. that it's been expanding for so long and it's starting to slow down. So I, I, th I think about, well, to say that aliens don't exist, I mean, that's, that's kind of big-headed for anybody to say, right? Because who are we to think that we're the only planet in our entire universe that has sentient living things on it, you know, that can figure out two plus two equals four? That's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. If, if our universe is so large and so vast, right, and we already know that there's other planets out there, there's other galaxies, there's other solar systems, so why the hell wouldn't we ever think that there's something else out there, somebody else? And that maybe they are way more advanced than us. And they've already figured out, you know, propulsion drive and everything they can get here. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it seems like it seems like the universe is so big that just the concept of we're the only ones in it is fucking ridiculous to me. It's, it's silly. Silly. Now, why do we not hear anything out there? I mean, there's there's some scary scenarios with mm. that. So. It, it could certainly be that there are other aliens out there, um, you know, making noise, but that any time that they are detected, that there's, you know, like a hunter-killer race that's just looking for resources. It's like, oh, I like that planet, like those raw resources. Yeah. They just show up and just murder all of them and just take the raw resources. Mm. And so, you know, you don't hear of any because when they make themselves known, they get destroyed pretty soon after by this other group. Yeah. You know, so that's possible. Um you know, it, it could, so, so one of the things I, I like to, I like to, cause this stuff, it's like, no, you know, it's hard to wrap your head around how big we're talking, all this kind of stuff. So this, I did this, this one, anyone can do the math experiment. It's pretty simple, but, um, 
you probably have like heard the theory that, or, or just heard the analysis that, you know, our solar system looks very similar to a traditional view of an atom. Yeah. Right. Proton in the middle planets cruise around as the electrons. Yep. 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 So, uh, so I took that literally and, and just, just try to put it into perspective. So I, so I said, okay, let's say that the garage that we're hanging out in is the entire universe. There's, this is the whole universe. Nothing else exists outside of it. And so what I did is, uh, uh, you first you first go okay how big is our solar system and it's uh depending on how what you consider inside the solar system it's 30 to 50 uh AUs uh astronomical units which uh, astronomical unit is the size of the sun yeah it takes about 8.2 minutes i believe to cross an AU so from that you can say how long does it take to cross our solar system that gives you a distance and then to say, you know, again, James Webb is kind of screwing all this up because we're finding out all this new stuff, but just ignoring the uh, telescope. Yeah, it's the new telescope yeah. that parked on the, the backside of the moon. And it's, yeah, it is pretty well disproving that the Big Bang is a thing, but mm. putting that aside for a moment. So we'll, we'll take the information as if it was two <laughs> months old. <laughs> uh, so we, we look back into history about 13 and a half billion years, roughly. And so that's a distance, right? Speed of light times 13 and a half billion years. And then the, the final thing is, so you, so you multiply that all out, that you've got an atom that's the size of our solar system, and we can see a known distance based on that, that unit. And then you just look up how big the average atom is, so specifically oxygen, because that's the one that has eight planets, eight electrons on it. Hmm. Um, and it's uh, 37 uh, picometers, which is, which is really small, very, very small. And so you multiply those two numbers together. So now here's the thing. So, so if the... If the garage is the whole galaxy and our solar system is an atom at the very tip of your fingernail that from your fingernail we can see about 2.2 millimeters into the universe that's around us hmm. and that's like a real actual way to think about what the universe is and how much is around us and so now if you start to consider you know all the different materials that you have in the garage all the different temperatures you know the way that the atoms and, and even the, the fundamental physics would behave if it's ice water versus something that's boiling it, you would get your whole range of all the multiverses and all this type of stuff that we could think of. And, you know, we just, we've got two point, we got 2.2 millimeters into, you know, a 30 by 40 foot area. We just don't fucking know anything about this kind of stuff, you know? And so it's <laughs> like, there's all these theories, multi... But I literally think that's the analogy of it, and that's actually our limit of our understanding of things. Yeah, yeah, I've heard some crazy stuff about the James Webb and the stuff that it's kind of unlocking and new information coming through. Well, I mean, on top of you know people getting pissed off and wanting to change the name of it because I guess James Webb used to womanize a lot or some shit. But yeah, good for him. <laughs> yeah, good for him. Different time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the the thing that's a real bummer for uh, for you know conventional scientific models with the James Webb is that they're they're looking much deeper into the universe than we've ever been able to do and what they're finding is galaxies that are far more they're, they're for, the formations are far further along than they should be able to be based on our physical models mm. of a big bang and yeah i've um, so i just don't think there was one i mean that's that's a really simple answer i think the big bang was kind of a stupid theory from the beginning mm. Well, in terms of the Big Bang, and I mean, I, I don't know anything. Maybe it did. Maybe it does exist. Maybe it doesn't. Like I see what you're saying, and it is very interesting to it. So I, I got really drunk one time on Fourth of July, <clears throat> and I don't know what it was. Like, 
you could call it a trip or something maybe, but I'm staring at, you know, uh, my kid running around with a sparkler. And I don't know what it was that just started pulling this thought into my brain was, um, you know, like some people think that we're all just a simulation, like that game, The Sims, you know, and, yeah. and like maybe the aliens are out there and they're clicking the mouse and telling us all what to do. And we don't ever, we don't really have any free will. Like you and me talking right now is someone clicked on podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Look at him go. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. But sure. so in that train of thought, I, I started, I'm looking at this sparkler and I'm staring at it just so intently. And I thought in, in terms of the big bang, like what if that's what it is? What if the entire universe is just one of those sparks and we're all on it right now? And the expansion of it is that spark burning brighter and brighter and brighter. And then at some point it'll peak and it'll, it'll start going down and burn out. So in the terms of the whole, you know, they think that the universe expansion is starting to slow down. So what if we've already passed that peak, mm. right? And now it's slowing down and that spark from the alien running around with a sparkler in his hand, that spark is now starting to die and fizzle out and we're on the downslope. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I love it. I don't know what it was. I'm just sitting there just with a beer in my hand and I'm just tripping balls almost staring at the <laughs> sparkler. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's, yeah, I think that's, that's totally reasonable. I think it's totally reasonable to think about it that way. Yeah, the, the big bang was somebody lit the match and started it going, mm -hmm. or or throwing poppets on the ground. Sure. Yeah, just, <laughs> just any of these chemical reactions. No, I mean, I think so. It's you know, so another aspect. So I I, uh, I don't actually believe time exists. Mm -hmm. I, I I I'm not like a professional physicist. I mean, I did study physics in college and yada yada, and I'm a mathematician. But you know. 11 dimensions and all this stuff. I mean, I've researched why they admittedly, like I wouldn't be able to recreate those equations and things like that, but it's like, I, I've studied why they think that it's like, I can understand the logic train. Mm -hmm. It is, it is complicated, but you know, something that's, it's a lot simpler to think is that, you know, a really simple way to define a dimension, this, this all link back together, but a really simple way to define a dimension is that you can move, move bi-directionally on it without affecting any other dimensions. It's a really simple definition, right? So if you got 3D, you can go up and down the Z. It doesn't affect X, Y mm. at all. Um, you know, time, when you look at time that way, there, there's really no empirical evidence that you can go backwards in time and it doesn't affect the, the physical matter. And mm. that could just be because we actually only can measure in the 3D, but... You know, when you talk about time dilation, um, something that anyone can do is uh, you can take Newton's equations um, and Einstein's equations as well, but Newton's is easier because it's all kinetics and you can actually measure it. And all the T values in there, the time values, yeah, you can actually replace that with a cycle counts of, I think it's tritium. I didn't look it up before. It's, it's, the, it's, the atomic, uh, it's the atomic atom that's inside of atomic clocks. And the way the atomic clocks mm -hmm. work is there's, I used to have this number memorized. I'll have to go look it up again. But there's, you know, say like a billion cycles is one second, whatever the actual number is. Um, and that's how they define what a second actually is, like when we measure it. So you got a measuring stick where it does a billion counts per second. Well, if you change that time value to say it's a billion oscillations of this atom, it actually paints a much more accurate picture and all the equations still work. Hmm. 
And so what, what you're actually running up against instead of time being a dimension is that you're running up against a maximum data rate. And so if data is considered to be, you know, motion of these things, there's this hard cap where you can only transmit data. And this is, you know, empirically proven at the speed of light. And so whether that transmission is through oscillations or through linear motion, like you're traveling to another planet or something, the total amount of data transmission per second is, you know, 300,000 kilometers per second. Hmm. That's it. And so, and so if you get into a situation where you're going half the speed of light, well, then everything inside of that inertial reference frame, its maximum speed inside of that can only be half of the speed of light. So to it, if you had your atomic clock in there, you'd still be like, you know, counting out a billion of these cycles. And so nothing would change to you. Time would still be passing at exactly the same type of rate. But to somebody else, they would see it as you were moving at half of the speed because half of your total data rate is being taken up by your linear, your linear motion. Hmm. And so th I think that's a much better way to look at the universe than say it's a dimension. It's just that there's this data rate cap on there. Um, and so, I mean, how, how that all fits back is that, you know, it's if time isn't a dimension, then you don't necessarily need a start anymore for the thing. If time is a dimension, then, you know, you'd have to be moving along this, you'd have to be moving along time from some kind of potentially starting point in it. I don't necessarily, so anyways, I need to go sit and talk with the, with some physicists about it because I mean I know that I've I've done it at parties when I shit face before and it just turns into where the guy's like well you know you don't have a degree and it's like well fine but it's like fucking prove me wrong like yeah you do. who gives a shit if you don't have a degree prove me wrong if if that's stupid how, how many people that don't have degrees have I mean come up with some of the most awesome craziest shit that we have now you know like air conditioners. You know, cornflakes. I mean, <laughs> whatever, whatever it is. That's funny. <laughs> Fuck my, uh, my uncle, um, he worked for Hewlett Packard for years, years and years and years. And, um, he, he came up, he, he passed away recently. Um, uh, he had, uh, uh cancer. Um, but I, I went over, I made the trip over to his house to see him and visit him, you know, before he went. So he's one of my favorite uncles. He's just a really interesting guy. Um, so I ended up sitting on his couch and talking with him just, you know, for like four or five hours. And he's kind of just giving me his whole life story about growing up in the days when computers still ran on tape reels. Mm -hmm. And so in order to fix a computer code, you literally had to pull the reel off, skim all the way through the entire tape and find the one place that has the hole in the wrong place and either put a piece of tape over it and poke a new hole or, you know, something you know, they, they were fixing, they were fixing computer code with fucking whiteout. Love it. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's, he was in, he was in the computer business for, I mean, I mean, almost up until he died. Uh, but he worked at Hewlett Packard and he came up with, he, he basically is, he wrote the software for the robots that built all the printers. Um, and then he pretty much started their entire automated um, assembly line facility that they use now. I mean, I don't want to say he started it, but he, he had a huge hand in putting it together and getting it to actually run and function and make everything far more efficient than it ever was when they started. You know, because back in the day, I mean, they literally had people that were building these things, just hand jamming computer chips into boards, you know, with their thumbs and stuff like that. 
Oh yeah, and I then, used to have o- OLM, old lady memory, because yeah. there's literally women that were sewing the wires through the magnets for yeah for RAM in side computers. Yeah, or little old lady, little yeah, old little lady old memory. Lady memory. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was. I mean, he he helped them not only to increase their efficiency, but I mean their business model and, and a whole lot of stuff. And he got passed over for so many things because he didn't have a degree. He, you know, he, he didn't have a, a computer science degree and all this other stuff. And I mean, they, they, I mean, they, they just, they ended up kind of screwing him over in a lot of different ways. You know, they wouldn't consider him for things. And it's like, why? So what if he doesn't have a fucking degree? The guy is a genius when it comes to these things. How many, how many great things has he's done for your company since you hired him back in, God, I don't know what it was. I think it was the eighties or late nineties or something when he started working there. I could be wrong. It was, it was a while when I talked to him, but. It was just, it was interesting to hear about all the things that he did for them without a degree, you know, and this, and this is a guy who had just been in the business so long that he, that he knew all of these things and he was able to help them out. And they just, because he didn't have a degree, because he didn't go to college for it they're Oh yeah. They just dismissed him. And it's horseshit. Why do that? You know, when, when I hire people, I look for experience more. So I've, I've had people that have degrees and things that come to me and and if it's somebody who has a degree in something that's close to to what i'm looking for you know depending on their demeanor and and any previous experience they had somewhere else yeah i'll I'll look at them and i'll consider them but i mean i end up hiring people that, that have no experience but they have a great drive and they're smart you can tell when you're interviewing them that whether or not they get the concept of what it is you're looking for you're showing them around, you're, you're telling them like, this is what I need somebody to do this and blah, blah, blah. And this is how the shop works. And this is what we do. And just the way they, they talk back and they give you that feedback, you can tell like they get it. So I'm going to, I'm going to gravitate towards that person. Mm-hmm. The idea of not hiring somebody or passing somebody up just because they don't have a degree is just beyond stupid to me. Yeah. Well, again, bias and chunking, right? Yeah. Protects people that do have them. It's yeah. Yeah, bias and tribalism. It's all kinds of the isms that start playing into it. But yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. A lot of isms. Uh, Spirituality. Ooh, think there's ghosts and shit running around, or that's a tough one. I, I don't want to say no, because it's one of those things that I don't know. So who am I to say no that it doesn't exist? I don't. I don't have. I'm not a ghost hunter. I Mm -hmm. don't have experience running around looking for EMF and all that crap. I mean, honestly, I watch those shows and stuff, and it just seems kind of ridiculous to me. But it's, it's entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I well, also how do, how do you put, explain something like the serendipity then that you'll you'll think of an old friend that you haven't talked to in months, and all of a sudden they like text you right then or call you or something. That is weird. Yeah, because it happens regularly. It know, does, multiple times a year. Yeah. Uh, usually, um, usually stimuli will remind me of people and things and all that stuff. I'm very tied to um, sense. So if I smell something, that's an instant trigger for memories and stuff. But what you're talking about, you know, why, what's that old, uh, what's that old saying is like, if your nose itches or something, it means that somebody's thinking of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. That's weird. I have no explanation for that, Yeah. but it does happen more often than could be explained as to me as just simple coincidence. I think so. I think so. I don't know. It's uh, 
so one of the yeah gosh i don't even know if i want to go into that <laughs> <laughs> well in spirituality i i do think you know because we're all made of energy right mm. you, so you talk about atoms and stuff like that i mean really that's all we are is just a giant conglomeration of atoms some vibrating more than others which is why we have a physical form you know and and so all these atoms are just moving around all over the place and doing all kinds of shit and firing off synapses and 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 energy so if we're all essentially energy and the human body could kind of be characterized as just a giant battery with a soft mushy blood-soaked casing where does that 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 energy has to go somewhere does it just die out and fizzle off when we pass or does it go somewhere? Have you ever seen the movie Powder? I don't think I have. So you, you, it's it's a good movie. I mean, just, just the story itself is good, but... Is it like an 80s movie or...? No, it's, it's uh, mid-90s. Okay. Um, I don't want to ruin it, but you know, it, it's it's this albino kid, and he, he's got some kind of crazy powers and stuff, and you got to watch it. I'll it's check good. it out. Yeah. yeah. Um, Shit, that means I can't ruin the ending, but <laughs> it's okay. Go and ruin the ending. Okay, it's so more important. So, so at the end of it, you I'll know, he kind of be, just because he doesn't fit in, right? And so it's almost—I don't want to say persecuted, but because of what he is, he, he is kind of persecuted in it, and he just—he doesn't fit inside the norm of society and, and the world. So, uh, you know, at the end of the movie, he ends up running into this field. He runs away from the boy's home that he ends up getting taken to and stuff because, I mean, you could just say that he's tired of it. You know, he's tired of horseshit and being treated the way he's being treated. And so he just takes off running and, and kind of escapes. And he goes back home and, and they go and they're trying to find him to bring him back and all that. And he runs out into this field. And as he's running out into this field, he just explodes into this giant ring of energy that disperses and goes out in every direction it's crazy and so that kind of it just that's somewhere towards my thinking of okay well so when we die what happens to that energy does it just fizzle out and go nowhere or is it kind of like that and we just can't see it you know maybe it's on a wavelength that human eyes can't pick up or something sure so when you when you think about like haunted houses and shit i, I kind of feel like that's what it is that there's like this energy that's embedded into the matter of yeah. the place of these historical events. Yeah. You know, when you, when you buy a house, right, they have to tell you legally if somebody died there or whatever. Yep. Well, if, if somebody dies in the house, that energy, I think, does stick around. It absorbs into the matter of, of the home like the walls you know the kitchen cabinets i mean it, it just kind of stays or maybe just in the one room where they died or something i don't know mm. but i also think depending on how they died was it just a quiet in their sleep they passed away or was it you know violent horrible awful murder and you know the the peak of that energy when it happened was it positive or was it extremely negative or i think that probably has an effect on what is going to be felt later. Does see, that makes sense. So this is yeah, it, it does. This th see, this is interesting. So you're 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 saying that that actions and feelings and emotion and thing like that can actually embed themselves into physical matter and then be sensed, be detected again later by other sentient beings. I think so. I think so because 
I mean, human beings in our subconscious, right? It's the subconscious is so like windows, right? You have, you have all these daemons and other programs that are running in the background that do all kinds of awesome shit, but you don't notice them. They're just sucking up resources. And then you have your programs that are using in the forefront. Well, so, you know, our, our frontal cortex or whatever, every, everything that you're thinking of that's in real time that you're experiencing and your, and your, your thoughts and everything that's going on that you're aware of, that's, uh, that's Adobe Photoshop. And those are all the shit that you're using at that time. But then you have the subconscious, which is all of the background programs, right? So when you're going through a house where somebody died and maybe it was an extremely horrible, awful fucking death. And so it's a lot of negative energy that has been passed into all the matter in the home. I mean, human beings, that subconscious, a lot of that is a survival drive, mm. right? So we are, I mean, even the stupidest people on the planet have that monkey brain, that ability to pick up something that just doesn't feel right. And that's that subconscious. That's that background program that's always looking for the inherent something's not right yeah well and there's a there'd be an evolutionary claim to say that that would exist so if there's a like a hunting ground that lions mm. used back in the day if if a species was able to detect that there's been an enormous amount of anguish in this area yeah then you know that you're in an exposed spot and you should go somewhere else right you should go somewhere else peaceful where there isn't a bunch of murders happening in yeah. there because you're more likely to survive and so the the you know the animals that would do the best would be the ones that would be most in tune to that type of system that that's an interesting thing about animals too is it, it's almost like animals a lot of them if not all of them have like a seventh sense mm -hmm. you know because maybe it's because they're not weighted down by all the crap we are like oh i gotta go to work tomorrow and then i have to stop at the store like animals don't give a shit they're I'm going to get up tomorrow and I'm going to do the same thing I did yesterday, which is I'm going to go chase down a gazelle and eat. And then I'm going to take a shit and go hang out in the river. And then I'm going to do it all over again. So maybe it's not clogged with all of that stuff. And, and they just pick up on things more. They feel the vibration in things. Yeah. They don't question it. Yeah. Their, their logic mind isn't trying to override this input they're getting. They just, Oh, input. That means this, I do this thing. Yeah. 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 But, um, Man, can I, uh, so this is yeah, go ahead. slightly off, but it's like the same kind of thread. So can I tell you mm -hmm. about, uh, this one of the, one of the most freaky, inexplicable, basically like, a, I interacted with this demon. Ooh, is this a Ouija board experience? It, actually. Yeah. yeah it goes, it goes <laughs> nice. along with this. So, um, <clears throat> I was in college, 22 years old, uh, I was with, um, two other friends we go out to this house. It's like this two story kind of thing. So it's like you, you go into it, you go up a set of stairs immediately. Like as soon as you enter the residence and it's like a loft kind of living room, kitchen mm. is open, connected. And then down a hallway, single bedroom, single bathroom, tiny place, right? There's a nurse residence below. Never been in this house. So we, we get there and, uh, you know, we get in house party, everyone's hanging out, good time, fun. And, uh, there was this chest in the, the, living room which like took up a, a noticeable awkward amount of space given how small the place already was right like mm. a, a lot a, a weirdly large amount of real estate is being used up by this chest and it's a relatively elaborate chest like, <laughs> like leather it, it's it's you know it, you're like with this amount of square footage how does this deal with the feng shui of the whole place <laughs> exactly like, who the fuck would put yeah that like there? you'd notice it when you walk in so <laughs> 
So we're hanging out and it's like a bar kind of a kitchen thing. We're hanging out, we're BS. And, and then, uh, my friend that I was with Christian was like, uh, I forget the guy's name house wrap. He's like, you know, Hey, we'll say Mike. He's like, Hey, you know, did you, uh, he's like, Luke, you know, did you know that Mike was a, a professional magic card player? I'm like, Oh really? And he's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, you know, that's all my, my decks and stuff like that in there. And, and Christian's like, you mind if I check it out? He's like, yeah, sure. So he walks over and like, so I'm sitting here talking and it's out of the corner of my eye that this happens. And so as he lifts this lid, it's like, you know, like in the movies where you have like the Dolby digital, like the, Ooh, yeah. It's, it, it's like that whole thing happens with the sound in the room. It's like everything gets muted. And I instantly feel like the temperature drops 20 degrees. Like I, I go from like nice and comfortable to goosebumps cold like that. When he opened it? When he opened the chest. Huh. And, and so I, you know, I turn my head over and he's like pulling out boxes and boxes of it. And it is like, it is like the Satanist, like, like <laughs> I wouldn't say starter kit cause he's like wildly advanced, but he's got like robes in there. He's got like sacrificial daggers. He's got Ouija boards. He's got ter- like every demonic like thing that you can imagine, like that I can imagine was like inside his chest along with all these magic cards. <laughs> and I'm just like, what the fuck? And so, so my friend Christian is like pulling out some of these cards and he's like flipping through them. And so I walk over like feeling obviously very weirded out. And I'm like, Hey, can I see some of the cards? He's like, yeah, sure. And so he hands them to me and I'm like, I'm like checking them out with them. And as I'm looking through them, the pictures and I've like, I used to play magic. So it's like, yeah, it's, like, I still do. it's not like I'm super sensitive to this stuff. Like I was the good Christian boy. And I was like, yeah. but as I'm like flipping through these cards, like the, the pictures on the card start to animate. And so like the, the creatures inside start to like reach out and stuff. And I'm, I'm like primarily sober. I'm like a beer deep or something, you know, it's like this. I was going to say, are you sure someone didn't slip you a tab of acid or something? Well, no, I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> that's what the, the story. And so, and so finally I'm like, I'm like, dude, this is like way too weird, man. So I, I hand the cards. And I'm like, dude, Christian, I got to get out of here. I'm ditching you. You, know, you find a ride home. And, <laughs> and so I, I, I grab my coat and I, I look down the hallway and coming down the hallway is like the, the shadow figures. And so it's like the only, there were, it wasn't that they were like shadows, but they're like these translucent, almost like predator one kind of thing when he's mm. moving, you know? Yeah. Like there's like, like snakes and these like goat faces and like just, just generally like kind of deformed animal sort of figures coming out of the, the bathroom and the the bedroom and like like just slowly like coming down the hallway <laughs> and so i'm just like totally weirded out and i start running down the stairs and as i start running down the stairs it suddenly starts to feel like i'm being stabbed in my sides like Jeez. i'm getting like a dagger jammed into my kidneys or something so it's like this physical pain and at this point it's like everything is like like i'm like i'm getting to this point of like information overload that's becoming hard to like process what's going on i've, I've got this like pain for no reason and and I, I, I look back because I, I heard this like woman shriek, like somebody got murdered all of a sudden. And so I look back and there's like these clear tentacles that are like waving up in the, the living room, just like doing this kind of thing, waving around. And so I go, I, I open the door. And as soon as the door cracks, it's like everything just comes back to normal. <laughs> and so I like step outside and there's this group of six dudes. They're smoking, they're like dressed all in black. I'm like, hey, what's up, guys? And they just like stare at me, like, don't say anything, smoking. And I'm like, uh, you know, say, give another pleasantry, no response still. Okay, shut the door, walk to my car, get in. And as I'm driving away, I look back and like this house had this like glowing red aura around the thing. Mm. It is, it, and 
you know, drove to another friend's house and was just like, dude, I just had the craziest experience ever. And then had a totally normal rest of my night. <laughs> <laughs> so all that's to say the, uh, I think that the embedding stuff that you're talking about, there's, there's like, I think there's probably some, I think it's, it's possible. I think it's very likely impossible. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think, I, I just think that it, if we are all energy, it has to go somewhere. You know, I, I don't, think that it just fizzles out and does nothing i agree yeah i mean simple but yeah i wonder what the hell happened in that house though for you to be experiencing that super bizarre <laughs> super bizarre yeah but uh, amityville horror like maybe if you guys start digging up floorboards you'll find bodies and man i don't know i mean i talked with my friend later and he just said it was just you know he never felt anything he says it was his house right uh it was a friend of a friend so my oh, friend okay. christian is who knew this guy it will say Mike. I don't know what his real name was. I don't remember. But um, yeah, Christian just said he's like, yeah, this is a normal party. Kind of fizzled out and got boring and went home. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, dude. Yeah, we had a the house that we lived in. Um, it was a tiny little. It was a one bedroom, um, and then we turned it into a two, and it was just a little tiny ass house. Um, and I I don't know who owned it before my mom had bought it, but through the entire renovation and fixing it up and all that stuff. Like every time you'd walk through the kitchen, you, it felt like somebody was behind you tugging on your shirt, yeah. which is really weird. Creepy. Yeah. Um, and then, and then my mom had a couple experiences where she just felt like somebody was just watching, you know, you get that creepy feeling where it's like, Hmm, you just feel like there's a presence and you don't know what it is. And, you know, we all brush it off as just horseshit, but it was weird. And I had it too, a couple of times, you know, but I, I was young. I didn't think anything of it, but I did have the, the pulling on the shirt thing happen quite a few times. It was very odd. My mom used to say that it was probably the ghost of, you know, some old man that had lived there back in the day. Cause it was a really old house. And, uh, she was like, Oh yeah, it's a nice ghost. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> he just likes to be irritating and annoying. Yeah. <laughs> Play pranks Maybe he's people. kind of a pervert. Yeah, he's like grabbing Maybe. ass, you know. Yeah. How many times were you taking a shower and uh, he's just hanging out watching you, being nice? Yeah, nipple play. <laughs> <laughs> hey, foreplay is important. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's well, so the Nobel Prize, I, I need to research it more because I, I just, I, I watched like an eight-minute video on it. But, uh, you know, the, the most recent Nobel Prize um, was that, the oh gosh what's the guy's name it's the the case against reality it's like yeah i, I know what you're talking about i remember his name either. yeah i'm blanking on his name but it's essentially you know his his theory which i believe is what actually led to this this nobel prize ag agreement it's not necessarily a discovery but there's just so much mathematics behind it i think that they kind of just accept it as true is that if quantum mechanics is correct in that you know everything is basically undeterministic until measured or observed mm. and then it and then it has to become deterministic that if you just you know take that as true and you extend that all the way out to what that means for the physical realm that we experience it's that the entire universe really doesn't actually exist until there's an observer to observe it and i think that an observer could be it crashing into itself you know what i mean it's so like two atoms come 
and collide in the act of them doing that. They have to decide who and what they are at that point. And so they kind of spring into existence and then spring out of existence as soon as they're done colliding. Yeah. But, um, I mean, that's, that's kind of the accepted view of the world is that the, the physical realm is really just this, like, it's like a byproduct of, of this more fundamental thing that's happening on this other plane that we really don't have a lot of great information about. So you're, what you're saying is, um, until somebody sees it, it, it's not real. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, roughly speaking, and it's like, so, you know, if I'm not looking at the moon, if no one's looking at the moon, does the moon exist? Well, it does because it, it's, it's observing into itself. So it's like the atoms inside of it are all interacting with each other. Hmm. And so they're all being held in this existence type plane. But if they were not reacting against each other, if it was just like one atom cruising out in the middle of space, not interacting with anything, I don't think that would actually exist. I think it would be a wave pattern of possibilities of how it could exist. And until it's observed or interacts, it wouldn't exist. Hmm. I think roughly speaking, that's what they think is actually going on. If the tree falls in the forest and no one's around, does it make a noise? I, I mean, by that, it's, <laughs> I mean, basically, no. I mean, it literally does because it interacts with itself. But roughly speaking, the core of the question, no, it would not. Well, yeah, if... You know what I mean? If no one is there to hear it and the the vibration of that tree falling against the ground is not felt by anything that can pick it up. Yes. That, I mean, technically it's not a noise. That's right. Yeah. Did we just answer the question? Yeah, finally. <laughs> after all these years. After all these years. <laughs> but it's, well, it's I, I bring all that up. It, it goes back entirely to what you're actually talking about is that, you know, if, if we basically are, are matter that only actually appears when it is required to, mm. then it makes a lot of sense that any kind of vibratory, you know, energy vibratory sort of transmission would affect that wave pattern and literally, quite literally embed itself into the physical matter. Hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. Ghosts are real. Ghosts are real. <laughs> <laughs> My kid will be happy. Uh, yeah. Make she, Halloween more interesting. Yeah, she loves ghost stories, and she's definitely all. Oh yeah, they're they're fucking real, dude. Uh, so machine elves, you think that shit's real? What? Oh fuck, machine elves, gremlins? No, man. So, uh, so when it, it, it's kind of a joke, but uh, so like so, again, I have not actually done this, so I don't have firsthand experience with it. Uh, but when you do DMT, mm. you basically have like a full disconnect from reality. And more times than not, people meet entities there that they define as mechanical elves, machine hmm. elves, and that they, they're kind of pranksters or jokesters. Um, but there's like this big question of, are they actually beings? Because people have talked, like, you'll have an interaction with them, and then your buddy will as well, and you guys don't talk about it, but they knew something that like you talked about. Kind of like a shared dream. Yeah, yeah. right. Like Exactly. It's like a shared dream space. And so there's... And what's interesting is that from, you know, male, female, different cultures, different races, different backgrounds, all this stuff, people tend to have, there's like four or five basic experiences to have, and that's about all there is. And so it's, it's one of those things where it's so consistent, so repeatable, it begs the question of, of can our brains through chemical processes tap into other entities? I would like to think so. I mean, if, as they say, we only use 10% of our brain, 
And that's 90% of other capacity that, I mean, maybe we haven't exactly figured out how to unlock, you know, we, we don't have the key, but I mean, it's there. Mm. What if, what if we're not necessarily, what, what if they're not real beings, right? Something in the DMT chemically causes for whatever reason that, you know, those similar things to be seen. It's just something that how it affects um, our physiology, you know, whatever that thing is, just happens to hit some part of the brain that for some reason makes us see robot elves. But also when you're talking about the, sh the shared dream space, what if it also is chemically tapping into some part of the brain that now clicks on that organic Wi-Fi or Bluetooth? Mm -hmm. So all the all of our brains, if we're in proximity, I guess, are are now linking up together. See, I like, and this. it is a dream space, but we're all sharing it because now that radio wave is just blasting back and forth between the two of us. I love it. I yeah. love it. So this frequency is out there and we basically tweak our antenna of a brain and how yes. it's, what it's going to be tapping into. And yeah. that's why the experience is roughly the same because you're picking up that same sort of signal. Well, yeah. Okay. So what you're saying is that there's already a signal out there and we're just tweaking it chemically to be able to pick it up. What I was talking more about was the things that we're seeing are just some, some sort of a chemical response to the DMT, but another chemical response is the activation of the brain Wi-Fi. Ooh. So, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. so, yep. But I also like what you're saying is that it's not it's not just causing a hallucination and a, a Wi-Fi link up. It's the Wi-Fi link up, which is also now opening a doorway for us to see into that that other realm that's going on. You know, like the the mechanical elves could be running around all the time right now, and you could think of them as the gremlins. Yeah. Right. That, that just fuck with people and, you know, change stuff. And like, if you look at all these, all these motorcycles in here, every single one of them has a gremlin bell mm -hmm. and for that reason, <laughs> because I want the damn thing to start up every time and not break down on me when I'm out on the road. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So I'm keeping the mechanical elves away with my gremlin bells. Oh, they do. They literally have bells. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, well, that, but that would be interesting if all I had to do was take some DMT and then I could just, you know, grab a broom and shoo them out of my fucking garage. <laughs> well, I, no, I mean, I like what you're saying of, you know, because I was thinking about the inverse, but like what I think you're saying is like, it's kind of like, like the first, like Quake, like when you do the no clip on Quake. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you fly outside. So it's like, like if the level is your normal conscious mind and it's got all these barriers and stuff and everything, act, but you know, you take these other things and it, tunes you into a sort of frequency where you like fly outside of that and then it's it's still it's still the level but it causes like all those visual artifacts yeah they're always the same way for everyone and so inside there is where you're kind of like seeing these other things and so it's it's like it's like your it's like your consciousness can be displayed information from your brain in all these number of different ways and so you're like tweaking the value yeah. of what's being displayed back to it yeah, it'd, it'd be that interesting. That probably is what's actually going on. Yeah. You're it, probably right. It, it'd be interesting. And that is that is the stupid thing really about, about all these drugs being illegal, right? Because there's so many pathways that if, if they weren't, and we put more effort into researching them, you know what I mean? Mm. I mean, not, not just make them legal for everybody to use and enjoy, but also to take another step towards looking into this shit and saying, well... You know why does it do what it do and 
and what properties of it could we maybe figure out how to use to benefit people? You know, if we could figure out what it is about DMT that turns on the brain Wi-Fi, well, then we wouldn't need fucking Neuralink. Yeah. Right. <laughs> if everybody's, if everybody's got their, uh, you know, their drip of DMT juice. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Maybe, maybe not the part that <laughs> fucking trips you out all day, but yeah, you figure out how to turn on and activate that, that other 1% of the brain that does that. I mean, the brain does make it. And so you actually, you know, from a, from a like engineering progress perspective, you might be right. There could be some, some aspect that be tapped into that channel. And so like the first way you do it is that you like put it on steroids and measure the difference, but then you mm. can figure out how to like dial in what that frequency is at lower to no extra dose yeah, and start to talk with people that way. Yeah. I mean, I, d I don't know that I would want anybody to be able to get inside of my head all the time, but no. <laughs> mostly for them, I'd feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> but I think having the ability to just decide that, I mean, especially in a workspace, maybe being more productive. I mean, mm -hmm. if that's, if that's something we wanted to look at, but in that sense, I mean, if we have to go to these nine to five jobs anyway, why not be able to just, you know, drop a little drop of something in your eye and then we all are more cohesive. You know, we have the ability to, instead of me having to run downstairs and go tell my people what they need to do, if I can just sit at my desk, get things done that I need to get done and be able to be able to tell my lead guy down there, Hey, you need to get so-and-so on this without even doing anything. Well, and it would be so much better. You know, it's like, like language is this, this incredible compression algorithm, right? So it's like, you've, you've got this thought, this vision, this intent, all these things. And then you like bundle all that up into this, you know, explanation of these, these different words, which are, you know, pretty non-deterministic and stuff. And it's, it's very difficult to actually, you know, get like computer code is much more rigid than language yeah, for a reason. And so, you know, you, you have this this thought compression system that you put out there and then you have to send that over to them and then you have to like check, you have to do all these like unit tests to make sure that the thought that is now, you know, enveloped in their head matches the one that you were seeing. And so it's like, if you could take that all away to just like grab the thought that you had and say here, you know, it would be so much more effective and there'd be so, so many things that would be, that wouldn't be lost in translation. Right. Yeah, there are a lot of things that get lost in translation. It's it's like starting a rumor, right? What what was true once it passes ten people down the line is now just a complete mishmash of everybody else's interpretation. Yeah. So yeah, if we had the ability to just get the message across from the source, you know, without having to, I guess, I guess do as much with it. Mm -hmm. I don't know where I was going with that, but I I think mostly my biggest issue with that is just free will. I don't like the idea of everybody running around, not only being able to hear each other's thoughts, but being able to talk to each other all the time. It would definitely be something that I would want to be able to. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you hold the cell, cell phone, phone up. Yep. But I, that's the thing is I can choose to put my cell phone on do not disturb. Mm. I mean, my phone has been on vibrate for the last two years because I just, I got to a point where I finally got rid of Facebook and all that stuff, which unfortunately with this, I'm now going to have to get it back. But I got tired of my phone dinging all the time and going off and it became a source of anxiety. You know, mm -hmm. my wife too, she, we did pretty much close to the same time. Um, 
yeah, I got, I got tired of listening to it because it was all the time, you know, because all my buddies are talking about this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, we get into some crazy dis text discussions, but I just got tired of hearing ding, bing, bing all the time. And then you're getting notifications from all of your apps and all that. I turn them all off. I do too. I'm like, fuck off. If I want to know what's going on, I'll open the app. Leave me alone. Mm -hmm. So it's on vibrate all the time. I never turn it back on. If I want to know what's happening and I want to see somebody's message, I'm going to look at it. Sure. Yeah, which irritates my wife because I don't hear any of her calls anymore. But Wow. <laughs> <laughs> there is no winning. Will you come help carry groceries? Damn it. I asked you. Oh, it was on vibrate. Oh, sorry, honey. My bad. <laughs> uh, yep. <sighs> How you doing? Good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Is there any other? Well, uh, I don't want to take up your whole day, but. Yeah, no, it's, it's probably good. I mean, it's, uh, man, it's been a lot of fun. Um, yeah, this I was super like fun. I, I feel like I learned a couple things and, um, yeah, this is, this is really great getting to talk to you, getting to know you a little better. Yeah, love, you too. Love your setup. Yeah, let's get out of here. Yeah, let's, let's wrap this up. Super, super good Saturday already. <laughs> it's cold as shit in here, unfortunately. <laughs> no. <laughs> I need a heater. But, uh, yeah, thanks for coming in. Thanks for being on. I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, if you're up to it, I'd definitely like to have you on again. Cool. We'll make some notes and, you know, I've, we're two nerds at heart. Obviously, we could probably go all damn day. Yeah, yeah, I love it. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you much, sir. Yep. I'll see you again. One, two, three.